non-standard Baptist deacon, I guess I used to be. Not a Baptist deacon anymore. You know, not anymore. Uh, I, I resigned my position as a deacon about two and a half years ago. I'd been one for 30 years. But uh, too many people that are serving as deacons that are not walking with God. And so when I presented to a deacon board, when they wanted to bring some men on the deacon board that were Masons, and uh, I told them, I said, you know, you obviously don't understand what a Mason is. And I said, they may not know either, uh, probably do not. But I said, I'm going to explain to you what they are, what they believe. And I said, you know, and then I will give you documented information to prove what I'm going to say from other men. And I said, then if you want to bring these men back on and make deacons out of Masons, then I can no longer serve on the board in a place with those men. And so even after I presented the information and they listened to me, they didn't believe me. And so I told them, I said, well, next month I'll bring you some information from another two other men. Uh, one of them's very, well, actually both of them very powerful in the Baptists. And both of them have done their legwork talking of learning about the Masonic Lodge. And, of course, they agree with everything I have learned. And uh, I brought videotapes for the men to listen to. And out of ten deacons, only one man would even take a tape to listen to it. So I told them, I said, you know, folks, you want to know why there's no power in the Baptist church? I'm going to tell you why there's no power in the church. Because we don't walk holy before God. If you want God to do something for you, you're going to have to walk holy before Him. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we come to another healing school, I want to thank you that we're anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. I want to thank you that we have the Word of God. And I thank you, Lord, that today as you speak through me, you will teach me and I will teach these people, or you will teach them through my mouth, what brings sickness and disease and what they have to do to get rid of it, and what kind of faith it takes to walk in divine health. Because, Lord, that's what you laid out for us. You said, above all things, I wish that you be in health and prosper, even as your soul prospers. So that's the goal for us as your children. Well, that's where you want us to walk. So, Lord, I ask you to reveal to me the places I need to go today to show people what they need to be able to walk in divine health. And if they are sick and afflicted today, show them who the enemy is and the power we have over the enemy and what we have to do to get set free from that beast. And, Lord, I praise you and thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, praise the Lord. <clears throat> Back to a healing school. Now then, uh, I want to tell you, first of all, before I get started today, some of you are new here, some of you don't know. Some of you saw uh, a real pretty lady walk up to me a while ago and said she needed a hug. Well, I want you to know that pretty lady is my new wife. You know, so uh, uh, it's amazing that uh, 
God, Cheryl, of course, she's standing right sitting here on the front row. Uh, as all, most of you know, that my wife had died in a car wreck three years ago, uh, and my daughter. And, of course, Cheryl, uh, she's been without a mate for 24 years. I've only been without one three years, and we had both made a decision. No more marriage. She wasn't going to get married. I wasn't going to get married. And I'd even made a statement. I said, several people had asked me if I was going to ever remarry. And I said, no, I have no plans to ever remarry. In fact, I said, you know, if somebody were to tell me that I was supposed to get married, I said, God would have to speak to me in an audible voice and tell me, that's her, or I would never get married again. And that's where I was. And I made a statement from the pulpit several times in the last year or two when people would ask me. And even Cheryl, her daughter, had said, Mother, you know, why don't you go with somebody? No, no. So I'm just, I don't care about no, no men. You know, I'm not going to go out. I'm just going to do my business and take care of business. I'm just going to go home and watch a little television, read the Word of God and pray and go to bed. That's all I'm going to do. No more men in my life. Well, don't ever say never. <laughs> because when God moves in, He changes everything. <clears throat> On the 26th of April, he gave her a dream, showed her she was supposed to be married to me. And the next morning, he woke me up and showed me her face and then spoke to me and told me in an audible voice, Son, Cheryl's going to be your wife. Well, <clears throat> since God's a faith God, and you really don't know how to do that, you know, I mean, what am I going to do? Just run over to her house, knock on the door and say, Hey, honey, are you and me supposed to get married? I didn't know what to do. So that night at Bible study, I came here, and of course she was here after Bible study was over, and uh, we stood and talked a few minutes and asked her if she was interested in working with me in the ministry. And she said she would. She would like to work with me in the ministry. And uh, I said, do you know that if you want to work with me in the ministry, you'd probably have to give up your profession? She said, I know it. I said, well, why don't we drive down here to a little restaurant and you follow me down there and we'll talk about this. So we drove down there and got a cup of tea and about 11 o'clock at night on Tuesday night. And I said, Cheryl, why in the world would you want to leave your profession and come to work for me so quickly? I said, did you have a word from God? She said, I did. I said, what did he say? She said, well, it's kind of personal. <laughs> And I'm not sure that I would, if I told you, it'd probably offend you. I said, no, no, no. I want to know if God told you something. I want to know what he said because I want to know why you're so willing to come over and work with me in the ministry. She said, well, Thurman, last night I had a dream. And said, in the dream, I wasn't just working with you in the ministry. I was married to you. I said, oh, you were? She said, yes. And she's now, like I say, I, I don't, didn't mean to offend you or anything, but God showed me in a dream. I was married to you. I said, well, this morning he showed me your face when I woke up, and then I got up and asked him what he was trying to show me, and he told me you were supposed to be my wife. I said, so if God gave you the dream, and he spoke to me, I said, how would you like to be my full-time helpmate and work with me in the ministry all the time? <laughs> and she reached across the table and tucked my hand, and she said, I would love it. I've never been on a date with this girl or nothing. I just asked her to marry <laughs> That's when I told my son that. I said, son, I'm fixing to get married. He said, oh, you are? Who to? And I said, Cheryl Anderson. He said, well, Dad, have, have you been dating this girl? I said, I didn't think you was going with anybody. I said, I'm not. I said, I hadn't been out with her yet. 
And he said, you already asked her to marry you? I said, yes, and she accepted. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. So we told Cheryl's daughter. She's 36. She had told her she was going to work with me in the ministry, and she was happy. And then when I told her that night, I said, you know, honey, what do you think about your mother working with me in the ministry? She said, oh, I, I think that's wonderful. I said, mother's really been excited ever since that you asked her to go to work for you. I said, so you're pleased with it? She said, oh, yeah, I've been wanting Mother to do something. She's wanted to work in a ministry for a long time. So I said, I'm certainly glad she's going to go to work for you. I said, what do you think about being my new daughter? She turned to look at me and she said, what? I said, honey, your mom and I are not going to just work together. We're going to get married. And Christy's jaw fell flow to the floor. <laughs> she said, you're getting married. I said, yes. And so, of course, uh, a few days later, we did. Uh, the 6th of June, we got married. And, of course, <clears throat> legally, we got our marriage license. And now then, I can say, hey, I moved in with a woman. I'm sleeping with her. But I got a marriage license. So we're legal. It sure has been fun to be able to have a mate again, you know, to get up and and she says, I have never cooked as much in my life as I have since I've married you. <laughs> oh, me. She's, her life has totally changed. Uh, you know, she's, when you go from no hubby from 24 years, you become kind of, you know, I guess self-sufficient. And all of a sudden, you got a man in your life. You know, a lot of things change. So it's been fun. It's been fun. We're learning together. Now then, what, honey? Oh, of course. Let me get you a mic so you can say something. You didn't ask me why I was late. Uh-oh. Why were you late? Oh, because I was standing in the office depot line at the cashier. Of course, you didn't know when I went there, but that's where I was. And this girl jumps in front of me, and she has a glass, of, a bottle of water, and she went, oh, I'm sorry. I said, no, go right ahead. And she said, I just have this terrible headache. And she said, I've got to have this water. I said, well, would you like to get rid of that headache? And she said, well, yeah. I said, what's your name? She said, Jennifer. So I put both my hands on her head. And I said, Lord, quoted John 14:13, says, I can ask anything in your name, and you would do it for me to glorify the Father through the Son. And I said, you will do it because you said you would in your word. And I thanked him for it and, and thanked him for healing Jennifer's headache. And I, in Jesus' name, amen, let go of it. And she said, she, there's somebody with her over here. She turned around and she said, it's gone. She said, that's weird. I said, no, praise Jesus. That's what that is. <laughs> Amen. Oh, goodness gracious. Amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> now, see, that's what happens when you move in with a man of faith. <laughs> when you move in with a man of faith, I might tell you all, uh, this is, I mean, we'll, we'll get a few little uh, funny things here to start before we get into serious stuff about the Word. But, of course, Cheryl's never lived in the house with a man of faith, not in her whole life, although she had been married two times back in her younger years. But when we came together and got married, uh, we'd been out of town uh, speaking at different places. Uh, you know, we really, you know, we really had a very intensive two weeks right after we got married. You know, we had a healing school. And uh, then after we had the healing school, you know, we we preached and taught here till 6 o'clock. And then we got in the car and drove eight hours to Hobbs, New Mexico, and got out there and finally got in bed at 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, 
and then got up and uh, uh, went and preached all day long, you know, and saw God do miracles and everything like that. So two weeks we were so intensive. And when we came back uh, and everything, well, she got up one morning and fixed me breakfast. And I go in the kitchen with her, and she reaches in the refrigerator, and there's a half a gallon of milk in there. She looks at the date on it and takes the cap off and starts to pour it in the sink. I said, honey, what are you doing? She said, well, the milk's three weeks old. I'm pouring it out. I said, no, no, no. I said, you're living in a house with a man of faith now. The milk don't go bad. (laughs) She says, give me a break, honey. It's three weeks old. I said, don't you dare pour out that milk. So she stopped pouring out the milk. And she said, well, what am I supposed to do with it? I reached up and got a glass, and I said, pour me a glass. And she said, honey, it's three weeks past the date it's supposed to be used. I said, it don't make any difference. Jesus said in his word, in Mark eleven twenty three that I can have anything I say with my mouth if I don't doubt with my heart. Now, see, he said that. The king said that to his children. But we don't believe him. So I said, the milk is not bad. It's good. It's sweet. So she pours it in the glass. And she said, well, it's not coming out in lumps. I said, it's sweet. It's good. I guarantee. So I start to mouth. She said, you're going to smell it? I said, no. That would be doubt. So I just turned it up and drank it. I said, it's beautiful. I said, taste it. And I leaned it over to her and she says, she said, it smells okay. I said, that's okay. It's perfect. So she took a little sip and she said, you're right. It's perfect. I said, see, Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you can have it. Now, we don't believe that, do we? Do we believe that? No, we don't believe that. You know, what we do, we say we believe that, but we take the milk out of the refrigerator. Jesus was operating in these principles whenever they said, Sir, or actually when his mother came to him and said, Son, there's no more wine. He said, You see those great big six stone water jars there that hold 20 to 30 gallons apiece? He said, Fill them up with water. Fill them up with water. And so they went and filled them up with water. Then he says, okay, dip out and take it to the master of ceremonies and give him a drink. They dipped it and went in there. And the guy says, we're out of wine. He said, here. He takes it. And he takes a drink and he said, wow. Everybody brings out the best stuff first. And then after everybody's had too much to drink, then they bring out the bad stuff. But he said, you saved the best till last. Now then, how did he turn that water into wine? He spoke it. He spoke it into existence. And then he turned to you and me and said, not only can you do what I have been doing, but greater things than these that I've done shall you do in my name. And unfortunately, we don't believe him. We don't believe him. If we believed the king, we would learn how to talk. I'm going to give you a few scriptures today to start off with to tell you about the power of the tongue. You can kill or give life with your tongue. The following scriptures are going to confirm this. Now, I want you to realize the tongue is the most powerful thing you have. 
the tongue is going to either put you over in life or it's going to defeat you. But everything you do, you do speaking it first. If you think a thought comes to your mind and said, you know, I really need to go to the grocery store and buy some groceries. If that thought comes, probably out loud you will say that before you go. I've got to run down to the grocery store and get some groceries. We say everything, but we say most things wrong. We do not realize the power in our tongue. But Psalms 12, verse 3, The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Now, that's, a, that's a, in the Psalms. Psalms 12, 3. You need to be careful things you speak. Don't go around speaking proud things because the Lord will cut off all those flattering lips. Be careful what you say. Now then, if you say the wrong thing, you don't realize the power in your tongue. But let me give you an example of how you can either ruin your marriage or make your marriage. Let me give you this example. Let's say that a man and a woman are married and they love each other with all their heart. <clears throat> and let's say they go out somewhere and let's say the man has not made a normal habit of opening the door for his wife or being extremely nice to his wife. Maybe he's fairly nice to her. But all of a sudden you go out with a friend and maybe his wife is there or maybe it's just a single woman and she happened to be going to go with you or be somewhere in the area you are and the man which never opens the door for his wife runs over and says something real nice and compliments this woman oh what a beautiful dress you have on today boy you look so beautiful in that look at those little things on your sleeve you look so beautiful today and he opens the door to let her in but he has, doesn't do that to his own wife you know what that does to that woman you women all know what that does, don't you? It doubles a knot up in your stomach. What is, what's wrong with me? Am I not beautiful? Does he not think I'm okay? Here he is falling over backwards for this other woman. He don't even know who she is. And do you know what that will do to that woman if you keep doing that? That will make her sick. That will put her down. It will put a knot in her stomach. It will do all kinds of devastating things to her because the enemy will begin to put thoughts in her mind and say, now look at that guy. Your husband, he thinks more about that woman than he does you. He thinks she's more beautiful than you are. And those thoughts and then anger and rage and all kinds of things begin to come to her. And you'll be amazed at how you can destroy your mate. And another thing it will do, in fact, it will cause a woman... It'll cause a lot of women to overeat. It'll cause a lot of women to overeat. It sure will. Because their husband is not looking at them as the attractive one. It will make the woman sick. I've seen it many times. So gentlemen, <clears throat> you may not realize that with your tongue, your tongue is so powerful... That when you give another woman a compliment, if you're not being doing your woman. Now, if you're complimenting your wife on a regular basis and you're treating her like a lady and she knows beyond a shadow of a doubt she's the most important thing in your life. She knows that. Then if another lady comes in and you were to open the door for both of them, 
And you're going to treat them both like ladies. You open the door, and you might even compliment her. Say, you say, how nice you look today. But you have to watch the attitude at which you say it. When you say it correctly, you can compliment another woman in your woman's presence, and it won't hurt her. But you have to say it the right way. Now then, if you have done those kind of things, you need to be very, very careful as a man and a woman. You need to make sure that you always show your wife the greatest respect. She must know that she can trust you because if you start giving another woman, especially a woman that just come up on the scene that you don't hardly know at all, you start flattering her and saying things in the presence of your own wife, you can literally make your wife sick and you can open the door to tormenting spirits that will come in and literally ruin her life. So with that tongue that speaks proud things about others and not about your own wife, you can literally make your wife sick. It's amazing how these things work. Psalms 15.1 Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness, and speaketh the truth in his heart. Okay? Let me go ahead and read the next verse too before I comment on that. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. Now then, here is some examples of who shall abide in the tabernacle of the Lord. If you want to walk in divine health, you have to abide in the tabernacle of the Lord. You cannot dwell out there in the tabernacle of the devil because if you dwell out there, you will walk in sickness and disease. You have to dwell in the secret place of the Most High God. You have to worship Him. You have to praise Him. You have to love Him. You have to learn how to enter the Holy of Holies and live there. Now, you, you can't live there just once in a while. You've got to stay there. You've got to stay in the Holy of Holies with God. Now then, when I say that, that that's going to change the way a lot of people do business. That means you're going to have to turn off the secular television set. You can't watch soap operas no more. You can't watch murdering games. You can't play computer games where killing, stealing, and destroying is in your house. You can't stay in the Holy of Holies and, and, and do these things. You can't listen to secular radio. You have to turn that off. You cannot watch these things on television, listen to them on radio, and you cannot read magazines and newspapers and stay in the secret place of the Most High God. There is a tremendous cost to walk where I think the church wants to walk. But if you're like I was... I had never seen a man walk in this all of my life. As I started reading the Bible, I thought, Lord, this got to be something wrong. You promised to heal all of our sickness, all our diseases. You promised to answer our prayers, but yet I don't ever see a prayer answered. I don't ever see anything. There's something wrong with this picture. Here we are, supposedly, the church, that the head of the church is the king of the universe, Jesus Christ, that came here on this earth, which is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and never changes. And he walked across this earth and done awesome miracles. Well, today he's here still. Because I don't know about you, but I brought him with me. When I came today, he's in me. And if you're a born-again Christian, he's in you. 
So everywhere we go, we should take this king with us. So by taking him with us, we should be able to speak in faith and see him do great and mighty things. If we're not seeing him do these great and mighty things, the problem is never with God, it's with us. It's always with us. So some of the reasons why we don't see these things happen. And here's some of them. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Okay, this is the statement that's asked. Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? That's where we want to live. And the answer is in the next few verses. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. I mean, Lord, I can't tell a lie once in a while. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You cannot tell a lie. But Lord, what if somebody comes in and asks me something? Well, if you really want to walk in this place, you've got to do it God's way. I'm determined. I I can't tell the truth all the time. Well, you can't live in the holy place. It's a choice that you'll have to make. He that walketh uprightly. You know what it means to walk uprightly? It's difficult. And worketh righteousness. And speaketh the truth in his tongue. And he that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. That's a pretty tough place to walk, isn't it, D? But we can do it, can't we? Yes, we can. Because the Lord told us. Now, if we do this, these are some of the requirements you must learn if you want to walk in divine health. Now, I know that just like... Uh, unfortunately, I had a gentleman uh, really come against me strong the other day. Of course, you know, I get used to these things anymore. He said, you know, Scrivener, he's too involved in this preaching healing. And he's not concerned about salvation of souls, which is the most important thing there are. He said, healing is not important. Only salvation is important. Well, I told him, I said, sir, you're nice and healthy and well right now. And I realize salvation of souls is the most important thing there is. But I said, when I go to a hospital and a man's laying here and the devil's beating up on him and the doctor said he's got a week left to live, healing becomes very important to that man if he wants to live. You know, so at that point, he's already got salvation, but now he needs healing. So in his life, healing's more important than anything if he wants to get well. So, you know, when you, when you, when you take the Word of God and you go to a place, and I've seen this happen many times, and God is so awesome that when you take the word and you go <clears throat> to a city and there is a woman, 50 years old or 55 years old, laying on her deathbed. And now then she's got tumors in her colon and, and her intestines are blocked and she hadn't been able to eat a bite of food in three weeks. And the doctor said, well, I'm sorry that, you know, that you got about a week left to live and you're 50 or 55 years old. Well, I mean, if you're ready to die and go on to be with Jesus... That's not a bad deal, I guess. But if you want to live a little longer, you know, that's not exactly a good place to be. And this woman wasn't ready to die. She wanted to live. So, when I flew down to that city and spent five hours teaching that couple who the enemy was, and when that little Baptist woman, after five hours, looked over me and I said, Ma'am, you heard enough of the Word of God to get healed now? That little Baptist woman looked at me with fire in her eyes. She said, you come over here and cast this devil of hell out of me, and I'm going to be healed right now in the name of Jesus. And so I built her faith. It was five hours one-on-one, just me and her and her husband. 
And so I went over and anointed her with oil, and her faith was just like the little woman had the issue of blood. That little woman, she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be healed. Now, that woman said the right thing. Her tongue, she said the right thing. And by saying, I know I will be healed. This woman, for 12 years, had been sick and afflicted. She had been to every doctor. She had spent everything she had. And she grew broke and worse. And now then she said, if I can but touch the hem of the king's garment, I know I will be healed. So her tongue spoke the right things. She reached up and touched him in faith and instantly healed. Well, this woman, when I went over and anointed that little, I believe she was 54, 55 years old, woman with oil. I just took my anointing oil, went over and made a little cross right on her forehead. And just anointed her, I said, in the name of Jesus, the devil come out of her. I said, you've lost this woman. I said, now be healed in the name of Jesus, according to the Word of God. I said, do you believe God? She said, yes. I said, then get up off that, get up off there and let's get going. I got to go to the airplane. And she said, I'm going to go with you. So her and her husband took me. She walked down the stairs. And this little woman had taken her three hours that morning to get out of bed and put on a suit of clothes. That's how weak she was. Three hours. But after driving the devil out of her and anointing her with oil, she gets up off of her deathbed. Walks down the stairs, goes out and gets in the car. We get, drive out to the airport. She walks all the way from the parking lot, all the way to the terminal. Walks all the way back from the terminal. All the way back, gets in her car. And on the way home, says, Don, honey, I hadn't had a bite to eat in three weeks. Right there's the best fried shrimp dinner place in town. Stopped right there. Jesus, him, we're going to eat tonight. And she stopped and ate. And about six months later, they brought me some pictures in a Bible study class. And this little woman weighed about 80 pounds when I was down there. She'd normally weighed about 125 or 130 and so about six, eight months later, what it was, the couple that sent me down there, they brought some pictures to Bible study one morning. And here's this beautiful woman standing there smiling. I said, wow, who's that good-looking woman? They said, you know who she is. I said, well, it looks a little like the one I went down to prayed over. They said, that's her. I said, well, she looks a whole lot different now than she did then. I said, then she's about 80 pounds and shriveled up and nothing. I said, now she looks like she's gained her weight back. That woman was completely miraculously healed, and she was supposed to die in a week. All you do is cast out the devil and get them healed. <clears throat> but see, from a lack of knowledge, they didn't know. The first thing that husband said when I asked him if they had heard enough of God's Word to get healed, he fell out of the chair on his knees with his hands raised and said, God, I can't believe I've been in church all my life and I knew virtually nothing this man taught us today out of the Word of God. But that day, I spent five hours with that couple. Although I took my Bible with me, I never opened it one time. I never opened my Bible. I just told him, I said, I'm going to take you to the places I want you to read the Scriptures, and I want you to tell me what your Bible says. And for five hours, we did that. And at the end of that five hours, getting them to see the verses, read them themselves, and tell me what they said, as they did that, it built their faith by speaking them out loud to the point that a woman on her deathbed could receive what Jesus had done for her 2,000 years ago and drive away the devil and get well. It's amazing. The enemy is the devil. And he's been defeated. And you and me as Christians have been given all power over the devil. The devil has no claim to us. You have to step out in his world for him to get you. But unfortunately, that's where the church lives, out there in the world of the devil. And if you're out there in his world, he's going to get you sooner or later. And... What did the Lord say? Those of us that would like to abide in His tabernacle and dwell on the holy hill, is there some requirements? Yes, they are. What are they? Walk uprightly. 
Do righteousness and speak the truth with your heart. Do not do any backbiting with your tongue. No evil to your neighbor. And do not take up a reproach against your neighbor. Those are some of the requirements. If you want to walk where God wants you to walk. Psalms 34, 12. What man is he that desireth life and love many days and may see good? What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Now, I don't know about you, but that's where I'd like to live. I want to live there. I want to walk there. Then he says, keep your tongue from evil and your lip from speaking guile. The tongue is a very powerful thing. People do not realize that the Lord says in verse 14 there, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open under their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. That verse 20 said, He keepeth all his bones, and not one of them is broken. <clears throat> one of these days I'm going to invite this gentleman down close to Houston. He's a great man of faith. One of these days I'm going to invite him either to a healing school to give his testimony or to a church service or something. But this man, he is one of the greatest men of faith I know. And he was riding a horse, and uh, he, he was supposed to minister to some people, and a friend asked him to go horseback riding, and... He decided to go horseback riding instead of doing what God told him to do. God told him to go minister some people, and he didn't do it. He knew he was supposed to do it, but he didn't. So he went horseback riding, and when he got up on the horse, because he was doing something he was not supposed to do, the horse reared up, and he fell off. Now, he was a Vietnam vet just like I am. He was back in the Vietnam War about the same time I was. He's a very, you know, strong man. And he pushed himself away from that horse clearing himself, and hit on the ground on his feet, jumped, fell down. But the horse didn't stop coming over. The horse came on over. When we did, the horse fell on his leg. When he fell on his leg, it fell right across there, and you could hear both bones, just like you'd hit him with a sledgehammer. Kapow! Broke both bones in two, and they went sticking out the side of his skin. His friend said, My goodness, Ted, you broke your leg. He said, Don't you dare confess that. I have not the word of God says the righteous men shall never have a bone broken. He said, But you look at them. They're broken. <laughs> Don't confess it, he said. He gets up, and the guy tells him, said, Your leg is broken. He said, Don't you say that again. The word of God says that no bone shall be broken. And he gets up and he stands up on that broken leg. Now, this is a man of faith. The guy said, Ted, your leg's broken. He said, I told you not to say that. I'm not, the Word of God says in Psalms, he said, not one of my bones shall be broken. He said, I will never confess I have a broken bone. And somebody said, you know, he's a fool. Both bones are sticking out there. He said, well, I'm okay. So he gets on that horse and they go horseback riding. And he rides all afternoon with both bones broken his right leg. 
He gets back and ministers to the people. He walks on that lake. Those bones are still sticking out to the side in his skin, yet he's walking on that lake. His leg swells. He goes to preach a couple nights later, and somebody said, Dad, we heard that you broke both bones in your leg. He gets up and said, he stands up behind the pulpit. He said, does a man with two broken bones stand up like this? And they said, well, not normally. He said, look. And he stomps a foot. And they said, it's got you know, to be a story. He said, I'm telling you, my bones are not broken. And he would never confess it. His leg began to swell. And it got worse. And it got worse. And it got worse. And it got worse. He stood on the Word. He's confessing what he wants. Now, this is where it will separate the faith people from those that are just believers. Three months come and went, and at the end of that three months, he looked down at his leg one morning, and he said, Lord, I was a Vietnam vet. And whenever I see those gangrene blisters beginning to pop, I know my leg's rotten. He said, Lord, you told me you'd never put me on more than I could bear. He said, Lord, you've taken me to the limit. He said, I can't stand it any longer. I've got to have something done. He said, Lord, I believed your word. I've confessed your word. I've stood against all odds. But now, Lord, I've got to have some help. So he goes out and gets on a motorcycle and kick-starts that motorcycle with a broken leg. Starts down the highway, and all of a sudden, here's a little man standing there on the side of the road. He said, I never pick up nobody. But he said, I passed by that man when I did. Something told me, he said, go back and pick him up. Okay, don't want to do this, but I'm listening to my spirit. Turns around, goes back over and says, where are you going? The guy tells him. He said, you're, you're going the wrong direction. He said, to go where you want to go, you've got to go down here and go here. He said, I'll take you down there if you want to go. He said, okay. So he jumps on the back. He said, he looks like he's about, well, looks like he weighs over 100 pounds. Kind of a little guy. Five foot, five foot one or two or something. Said he gets on the back behind me and I take off and said, you can always tell when you put somebody on behind you, even if they're a little one. But he said, my motorcycle don't respond like there's nobody behind me. So he said, I look back and he's back there. I thought, this is strange. So I drive a few miles and he pulls up to the intersection and said, this is where you need to go this way. We said, I'm going this way. So the guy gets off and I'm not sure exactly what he said, but he said something like this. Your leg is healed. And he thought, how'd this guy know i got a problem with my leg? As he's thinking about this, he starts out on the motorcycle, gets about 20 yards down the road, and he thought, wait a minute. How did this guy know my leg was anything wrong with my leg? And so he stops the motorcycle and turns around, and he said, I can see in 200 yards in every direction, there ain't nobody standing back there. He said, I'll pull my britches up, look down, and the bones are perfectly straight, and my leg is completely healed. Now, see, that's what faith really is. Now, how many people do you know that can go to that limit? Very few people. They will not believe these promises because, now, this man, of course, he said it took three more days for all the gangrene blisters to go away, but instantly the leg moved back in and was put together, and the pain left. And then over the next three days, all the gangrene blisters left and everything. His leg today is completely, totally restored. And he never went to a doctor. He said, God promised to heal all of my problems. And said, I trusted him. But you talk about putting you to the test. 
That's why the church doesn't see God do very much, because we don't believe Him. You know, people say, well, my goodness gracious, I mean, that's why God gave us doctors. Well, and if, if, that's the, if that's where your faith is, and you have to go to a doctor, you know, and that's where I was the first 45 years of my life, because I was certainly not a faith person, because although I was a church member and a believer in Jesus Christ, I had never seen anybody healed or anything, and I had never seen a prayer answered in church. I'd never seen a pastor pray for anybody and see a direct result of prayer. So why in the world should I think God's still in the business of answering prayer? You don't see Him do nothing. So there's got to be something wrong. But if we trust God, if we take these words and we read this owner's manual, and we believe this owner's manual, and we will start doing what this owner's manual says, and first of all, the church has got to realize the reason we don't see God answer our prayer is because we live in sin. We live in sin. I mean... How many men and women do I deal with in the last few years that are Christians, and some of them even were Christians years ago, and they'll confess to me, well, uh, we're living together out of wedlock. I mean, I know this is wrong, you know, but I've been a Christian 20 years, and my wife's been a Christian for 15 years or whatever. But, you know, we thought we'd just move in together for a while because, you know, it's cheaper for two of us to live in one apartment, you know, than for us to have two apartments. We've got to justify this some way. Well, I guess when you moved in together, you're not sleeping together. Well, uh, yeah, we kind of do that too, you know. Well, don't you know that that's sin? Well, but we think God understands. No, God don't understand. He don't understand. You know, so, you know, we live in gross sin. Or, or just like a while ago, the Lord said, let truth be in your mouth. You're, you're a Christian and you're a deacon in a church and you got the day off and you really want to do something and work calls and said, oh, we need to talk to your daddy. And you say, Dad, uh, the work's called. And he said, who is it? He said, it's Johnny from work. What does he want? He says he needs you to come in. Tell him I'm sick. I'm not coming in today. I feel bad. Ain't nothing wrong with daddy. He's lying. I had a man do that to me one time. I called him myself. I told him, I said, you know, I realize you got the day off today, but I've had something happen, and I sure do need you. And he said, I'm sick, Thurman, and I just can't come in today. I said, okay. Well, the next morning he called in sick, and the next morning he called in sick, and the next morning he called in sick. After that, he came in, I said, boy, you were really sick. And he said, you know what? I wasn't sick whenever I called, when you called. But I told you I was sick, and right after I told you that, he said, I became sick, and not only was I sick that, I was sick three days. I was so sick, I couldn't even go to the telephone. I said, so you won't never lie to me again, will you? He said, never. (laughs) See, we don't realize what we're saying with our tongue, right? Life and death is in the power of the tongue. When the man says, I'm sick, he opened the door to that devil, and that devil said, oh, he wants to be sick, I will abide him. And so he put him down for three days. And did the Lord say to tell the truth? Yes, yes he did. So, but somebody said, well, my goodness gracious, that was just a coincidence. No, there was no coincidence to that at all. He opened the door to the demonic world with his mouth. Then it says in Psalms 39, 1 says, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. Do you know that most of us, truly, to walk without sin with our tongue, we will have to put a bridle on our mouth. And some of us will have to have that reins pulled back tight. 
Because, you know, we want to sin with our mouth, don't we? I mean, somebody does something to me, like that example I've told you, as long as you stay dead, as long as you stay nailed to the cross, you can do wonderful things. But, you know, if you only put one nail in each hand and, and one in your feet, first time somebody does something to you, and if you don't really like it, it's real easy, real easy to rip that hand, that nail off it, reach up and get them around the neck and say, What'd you say? No, we would never do nothing like that, would we? Yes, we do. We do it all the time. It's real easy as a Christian to do those kind of things. Well, as I've said many times, I've learned that you can't just put one nail in my hand and make me stay on the cross. You've got to take a nail gun and nail them about every half inch apart all the way down to keep me on the cross. And sometimes that's kind of difficult. And sometimes when somebody says the wrong thing to me, I still tense up. I want to jerk off of that cross. I want to get them. I want to get even with them. I know none of you all have that problem but me. It's real easy for somebody to light your fire, isn't it? And you know know where most of us get our fires lit and to do something bad? You know where it happens? Between a man and his wife. A man and his wife. The devil is always watching. I mean, he can say the wrong thing to you, and I'm telling you, you might have been having a great day, Terry. You might have been having... I'll use you as an example. You might have been having a great... You've been there, huh, girl? <laughs> Your hubby, lovely man as he is, said something wrong, and you've had a bad day, and man, you could just eat him up tooth and nail, can't you, girl? Woo! In other words, that's one of them days when the Lord needs to take that bridle and put it in your mouth and pull the reins real tight, right? (laughs) But it is difficult to walk there. I don't care who you are. You have to learn to control your tongue. You have to learn to think what you're going to say before you say it if you want to walk in these ways. Now then... In Psalm 52.1, it says, Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty men? The goodness of God endureth continuously. Verse 2, Your tongue devises mischief. Like a sharp razor, it's working deceitfully. Like a sharp razor? You lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness. You loveth all devouring words. O thy deceitful tongue, God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. When you begin to get a hold of just some of these things that we're talking about, the tongue you'll begin to see, as I begin to read this book in detail, when I begin to see these things, I thought, Lord, if these things are true, I have the answer to our problems. And one of the major problems is our tongue. Now, we don't realize the power in the tongue. For those of you that have not listened to the two tapes, I'm sure we have them back there. I've just redone my tapes on the tongue in the last six months. Because I've learned so much more about the tongue, and still I've not, by no wise, you know, completely expanded totally upon this uh, question here about the tongue. But the last time I redone my tongue tapes, it took 
three hours just to talk about the tongue. I got two 90-minute tapes back there on the tongue. And I will have to say, if you listen to those two tapes on the tongue, if they don't change you, if they don't change you, it's something really bad wrong. Yeah, so it'll teach you, you know, what you have to do. But right now, we're just covering a few of these little things. We're going to cover just a few minutes worth of these things and let you know what you can do. In Psalm 64.3, it says, Who whet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows and even bitter words. In other words, you would think that some people would whet their tongue like a sword. In other words, some of you young people may not know what that means. But when you take a knife and you take a little stone, you whet it. You know, in other words, you sharpen it. And you're sharpening that. So some people sharpen their tongue with words. So that, boy, I mean, there was a little lady in one of my Bible study classes a few years ago. Her and her husband, they're just a beautiful little couple. And I'm telling you, although you would never know looking at this woman, you would think she's the kindest, gentlest woman in the world. But if somebody crossed her path, I mean to tell you, she could tell you how the cow eat the cabbage. I mean, she could get down on you, but she had problems. And when she started coming to my classes and I started telling her, I said, ma'am, you're going to have to learn how to control your tongue. I said, when somebody does something wrong to you and you come back at them and like you do, I said, you can't walk in divine health and live, live there. And I said, do you have sickness and disease? Oh, yeah. She said, you know, I have the flu and, and so on and so forth and bronchitis and all this stuff. It's on a regular basis. But Thurman, that's just the way it is. I said, no, that's not the way it is, honey. You don't have to have it as a Christian. I said, if you learn to control your tongue, you can walk in divine health. Well, six or seven or eight years have gone by now, and this couple is walking in divine health. Walking in divine health. In fact, I got real tickled at him the other day. He called me and said, Thurman, well, the other day, it's been a couple of years ago. That's just the other day, though. You know, when you get my age, a couple of years is nothing. Peanuts. You know, now if you're only three or four years old, a couple of years or half your life, but it all depends on where you're at. But her husband called me the other day and said, Thurman, would you come down here to Baylor and uh, Grapevine? One of my best friend's son is in the hospital in ICU. He overdosed on drugs last night. They found him out in the rain and the cold this morning. Uh, he has hypothermia or whatever you call that. And said so the doctor said he may not live. And so I said, sure, I'll come down there. So... I drive down there and I walk in. I find out this young man, I had led him to Christ only six or eight months before. When I walked in, I saw who it was. I said, son, you came to Jesus just a few months ago, didn't you? And, of course, he couldn't talk, but he shook his head kind of slowly. I said, so you left Jesus and got out there in the devil's world last night, didn't you? And he sat there and I said, now then, son... It comes down to a point. Do you want to live or do you want to die? I said, do you want to live? He shook his head, yes. Only 21 years old. I said, you're going to have to make some changes. I said, as a Christian, you can't go out there and play in the devil's world in drugs and alcohol. I said, if you do, guarantee the devil's going to take you out. I said, you went out there last night in the devil's world and you... Took some drugs and you drank some alcohol and all that stuff. And I said, the devil knocked you out totally cold out in the front yard just before you got in the house. And you laid out there in the cold. And I said, it's a wonder you didn't die. But I said, I'm going to tell you something. If you will repent right now before God 
and tell God you're sorry for what you've done. If you'll tell him you're sorry and you'll dedicate your life to serving him, I'll guarantee you when I touch you in the name of Jesus, he'll heal you. Well, I said, if you don't, if you're going to continue to live in the devil's world, then you're going to die today. I said, it's your choice. Which one you want to do? You want to live? He could just barely shake his head. He shook his head. I said, are you going to stop sinning? He shook his head like that. I said, okay, good. I said, Lord, be merciful to him. I reached over and laid my hands on him. The doctor said, if he recovers, he'll be in here a minimum of a week. I reached over and touched him and said, be healed in the name of Jesus. I said, it's done. I turned and walked out and I told his parents, his sisters and brothers, and of course, as they were all there, they said, you don't think he's going to get healed quick? I said, oh yeah, he'll be out here today. I said, he repented. And everybody thinks, this guy is crazy. <laughs> One of them even told me that. You know, said, you know, you, you know you're a little far out. I said, yeah, I realize I'm a little far out. But I said, I'm going to tell you what God's going to do for him. In four hours, the boy was at home. Totally, completely well. <laughs> See, you've got to realize that the reason Jesus heals you is to serve him. He does not heal you to go back out there and live in the devil's world. Now then, if you come here today and you've got emphysema or something, you're smoking two or three packs of cigarettes a day, you need to realize you've got to hate what you're doing and you want to get free from that devil and make God a promise you'll stop abusing this temple that he lives in with nicotine or he's not going to heal you. If you're going to come and say, Lord, I need to be healed of emphysema so I can keep smoking, forget it. It ain't going to do no good for me to pray for you today because I am not the healer. Jesus is. So he heals us and delivers us to be about his business and to serve him in his kingdom. That's the purpose. So, I mean, I had a woman come in here a while back and she said, she heard what I taught and she said, I got a sister that's in really bad shape. And she said, I want to bring her down here and get her healed. I said, what's wrong with her? She said, she's got uh, cancer in her throat. I said, well, okay. So she brought the lady, and one afternoon I'm sitting here talking with the lady after church. And uh, she said, uh, excuse me just a minute, i got to go outside. I said, ma'am, what do you need to go outside for? She said, well, i got to go smoke a cigarette. I said, ma'am, you want to get healed of throat cancer, and you're still smoking them cigarettes? Well, she said, I love smoking. I said, do you want to get healed? She said, well, yeah. I said, well, you promise God to stop smoking? She said, no, I like smoking. I said, do you drink? She said, oh, yeah. You know, I drink. I said, the... Do you go to the bars when you drink? Oh, yeah. She said, I love being, you know, doing things. And I said, well, I said, you're going to have to change if you want God to heal you. I said, you're going to have to change from your wicked ways. You're going to have to stop going to the bars. You're going to have to stop drinking. You're going to have to stop smoking. You're going to start loving, living for God if you want to get healed. Well, she said, but, but I don't want to do that. I said, then it's not going to do no good for me to pray for you. Her sister said, Irma, will you pray for her anyway? I said, of course, I'll pray for her, but I'm going to tell you what God's going to do. Nothing. So I prayed for her, just out of compassion for her sister. The sister went ahead and went down to San, no, not San Antonio, went to Houston, I think it was, and had uh, maybe the MD Anderson or wherever, and they operated on her throat and everything, and the sister came back, and she never changed, never changed. And within a few months, she died. You know, I mean, why do you think God heals you? So you can keep sinning? No, no. Not so you can keep sinning, so you can serve Him. We're here to build the body of Christ, the church. And the church is supposed to be healthy, but the church is supposed to do what God told us to do. 
And he's given us instructions right here in the Psalms, just a few places of what we're supposed to be doing. Now then, if we will do these things, if, if we do not wet our tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows with these bitter words, and we don't want to do that, he says, in verse 4, says that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privately. They say, who shall see them? They search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search. Both the inward thoughts of every one of them and the heart is, is deep. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded. So they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away. If you keep doing that with your tongue, and you keep cutting people down, in verse 7, who's going to send an arrow to shoot you? God is. You think he's got a pretty good aim? See, we don't realize, do we, what happens. Praise the king. Praise the king. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow, and suddenly they shall be wounded. Suddenly you shall be wounded. I, I think about these things and how God is gracious and merciful to us and how he does those things. But yet when we continue to live in that sin, eventually we're going to get hit with that curse from God. You can't live in sin. God is no respecter of person. I don't care who you are. I don't care what color you are. I don't care how big you are. I don't care how tall you are, how short you are, how fat you are, how skinny you are. Sin is going to bring the same consequences in your life. God is no respecter of person. Somebody said, but I'm God's favorite. Nope, he don't have no favorites. He treats every one of us the same. Now, you might have favorites in your family. And that's unfortunate. So many men and women raise children, and one of the children they'll have the favorite, and they can't do enough for that child, and the other one they won't do nothing for. Now, that's a shame that a mother and a father will treat their own children like that because they're doing a devastating thing. But human beings will do that. But God does not. If you're a person on this earth and you do these things, these consequences are going to come upon you. No exceptions to the rule. The consequences are going to be there. So you have to learn to talk. In Psalms 120, verse 1, 2, and 3, he says, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto them, thy false tongue? If you have lying lips and a deceitful tongue, is there any hope for you? Yes. Repent and stop doing it. Then we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 16. Proverbs 6, 16. Now, here's some things that the Word of God says the Lord hates. So now then, if God hates these things, if God hates these things, if you're doing these things, I suggest that we make a change. I think that would be good advice, don't you? If God hates it, you need to hate it. If God loves it, we need to love it. Right, Jay-Z? I mean, if God says, I hate these things, if you're doing these things, if you see anything in here that you're doing, you need to make these changes. In verse 16 of Proverbs 6, 
He says, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Number one, a proud look. A proud look. Now, if you have that proud look, and you're looking, uh, and you're making yourself look like you're somebody when you're nothing, you have that proud look, you need to change. Then he says, a lying tongue. God don't like a lying tongue. And then he says, hands that shed innocent blood. Wow. I'd hate to be an abortionist today, wouldn't you? I'd hate to be an abortionist. But you know, when you think about that, I don't remember the woman's name, but there was a woman years ago that used to live here in the Dallas area. She may still live here. I can't remember her name. But she owned, I think at the time, three or four abortion clinics in the Dallas Fort Metroplex. And she had been responsible for killing like 35,000 babies in her clinics. And somebody told that woman about Jesus. And somebody prayed for that woman, and that woman got gloriously saved. That woman closed all of those clinics. How many of those 35,000 babies did God forgive her for? You talk about you talk about a gracious God. A gracious God that can take his son's blood and she had been the owner of these clinics and many of those babies she had killed, pulled out of mother's womb piece by piece and destroyed those little babies. And to think that God could be merciful enough to forgive her for all of that. All I got to say, he is a merciful God. When that woman stood, stands before the throne of grace, those sins were remitted the minute she got saved. When she received Jesus as her Lord and Savior, she was made the righteousness of God in Christ. She was clothed in a beautiful white robe, a raiment robe, and she stood before the King just like you and I do, clean and pure. Are we grateful for the blood of Jesus? If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, None of us could be here today. But to, what would be the secret behind this? If we could only know up front not to do these devastating things, we would think of the little babies that would still be alive. Think of the people's lives that would be changed. I think about one man, and all of you will know this man, that his mother was raped. She worked at the wee hours of the morning in a city in the north, northeast. And one night in the wee hours, she was raped brutally by a man. Don't know who he was. But it happened to be the wrong time of the month. And she conceived a child in her womb. And when she learned she was pregnant, she tried everything to have the baby aborted. This was way back before abortion was legal. But she didn't want this baby. And finally, she went to several doctors trying to find a doctor that would do something to get this baby out of her womb. She didn't want this baby. Finally, God spoke to her and told her, said, Do not kill this child. I will use this boy that's in your womb in a mighty way for my kingdom. So when she heard the voice, she stopped trying to kill him. And she had the baby. And she raised him. And then he became one of the most powerful Baptist preachers there was. Spoke to thousands of people.
but because of the sin that was involved with his mother, whenever she was raped, demons came into her which were passed to him. And he had numerous demons, and he had demons of lust. Although he was married to a beautiful woman, he couldn't understand. Every time he walked into a church or preached, and looked down on the front, especially when women were sitting down there with short skirts on, why he lusted for every woman he saw. He never fell, but he couldn't understand why he had this lust. And finally he found a man that told him what it was, that he had demons, and the man cast the demons out of him, and it totally changed the man's life. Anybody know who that man is? Amen. James Robertson. Absolutely. That's who that man is. Is he a well-known symbol in Christian circles today? Is he a wonderful man of God? Is he doing great things for the kingdom of God? Yes. So see, don't ever try to play God. If something happens, you let God take care of it. Don't go kill a baby. You know, let God take care of it. He can take nothing and make something out of it. If he can take a little woman that was raped and then had a baby that never knew who his daddy was and then get him delivered to demons and make a powerful man of God that's used him like he's used James Robertson, let me tell you, God can do anything with you and me. There's hope for us. There's hope for us. So don't think that God can't do something. But all the devastating things he went through and the demons that had legal right to him and everything else as he got delivered, it totally changed his life. Not only did it change his life, but it changed many other preachers' life. And, of course, I think about one day when I was with Jerry King. Some of you may know Jerry King. But I was teaching in a seminar he was teaching in. We were both on the same television uh, one night. And he and I went to dinner together. And he is a humble man. But he said, Thurman, I was telling him how humble he was. And he said, well, I hadn't always been like this. I said, what do you mean? He said, I used to be the pastor of the biggest Pentecostal church in Fort Worth. And he said, I had the best church in town. And he said, if you didn't believe it, all you had to do is ask me. I'd tell you. (laughs) But he said, when James Robinson come against me so many times, when he finally got delivered and invited me to a meeting, and I thought, I'm going to go see what this guy's got to say. He said, I went over there to that hotel that night and said, I'm sitting back there. And James is standing up there. He's a different man, totally humble, never seen him like this. He's telling us, he's repenting, telling us, all of us pastors that invited this meeting, how sorry he was of all the bad things he said about us. And said he didn't realize the problem was demons. And now that he's gotten delivered and set free, so he wants others to know this. And so Jerry said, I thought, yeah, that's what's wrong with my church too. I got a few people probably got demons in my church too. And he said, I'm standing up there listening to James talk. He's got us standing up. And he said, the Lord spoke to me, Thurman. He said, Jerry, the demons in your church are in you. He said, you're the problem in your church. And he said, I just fell over the chair in front of me with my face down in the seat of the chair in front of me, saying, oh God, be merciful to me. See, he thought he was somebody. But he got delivered that night and he got set free and it made Jerry a totally different man. I mean, it's amazing what happens. And people say, you know, I don't believe a Christian could have a demon. Let me tell you, James Robinson had Christian. He was a Christian and he had multitudes of demons, in fact, Whenever Milton Green, when he asked Milton, he said, Milton, do you really think i got demons? Some of you know what he said. He said, James, I've cast demons out of murderers, out of rapists, out of the, some of the worst criminals in prison, and I ain't never seen a man got more demons than you got. Whew. That's got to be devastating to a Baptist preacher who's preaching to thousands every night. 
But when Milton Green cast them demons out of James, he got delivered. And it changed his life forever. And he'll never be the same. So get it out of your head that you can't have a demon. A demon is our problem today. That's what's causing sickness and disease and everything else. That's what our problem is. Evil spirits. And you get them, technically speaking, you get them with your tongue. When you don't walk holy, when you speak the wrong things, Satan has no claim to you as a Christian from the very minute you get translated into the kingdom of light. When you get delivered from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of light, Satan has no claim to you until you give it to him with your tongue through sin. When you sin with your tongue, you open the door and then the devil's standing right there and he'll get you. So all of us have sinned. All of us have sinned. But you can stop sinning if you'll learn how to talk. And you can drive out demons with your tongue when you learn how to talk. You can kick them out and get set free. Now then, these six, seven things the Lord's talking about. Number one, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And a heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift to running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. I know none of us ever seen anybody do that in the church. Never. I mean, it shouldn't be, should it? Obviously, we don't read the Word. Look at verse 20. My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continuously upon thy heart, and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instructions are the way of life. Now, if God hates those seven things, if you're doing any of those seven things, you're opening the door to the demonic world. Because if you're doing things that are against God's way, if you're doing any of those things, you need to learn how to stop doing those things. One of them is a proud look. Don't be proudful. Then a lying tongue. Remember, a little white lie is just as bad as a big lie. All the same with God. If you want, and it all depends on do you want to walk in divine health. Now, you know, it's okay if you want to be sick every once in a while. You won't have to go to the doctor and spend a few thousand dollars a year on medication. You know, if you want to do that, you can go ahead and keep on doing what you're doing. Or if you want to die early, you know, instead of living to be 90 or 100, if you say, well, 40, 45 is okay with me, then just keep on doing what you're doing. And you can die at 40 or 45. I see it happen all the time. So whose choice is it? It's ours. It's ours. He's given us the ruler, the owner's book, manual, and he tells us what to do. So, if you're living in any of those seven things, you need to get rid of them. Then, in in, uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Now, sometimes that's hard to do. I'll go back over here since Frank's sitting up here with Terry now. I'll go back over here and say, Every once in a while... You have to pull the Bible a little tight on Terry, don't you, Frank? I'm going to get him in trouble, George. <laughs> oh, me. 
I know this couple love each other and I can joke and cut up with them a little bit. Because we all know that these things are true. You know, our tongue, I don't care who you are, once in a while we have to realize that all of us have to have somebody pull the reins on our, on our tongue. That bridle that's in our mouth. I mean, for those of you that have ridden a horse, you know what I mean. You know, uh, you take a horse, uh, especially a spirited horse. When my daughter was a young girl, she wanted a horse. So I bought her an old gray mare. You know, she's a little girl about this big. I wanted a nice, gentle horse. I bought her an old gray mare. This horse was so gentle, you couldn't make her run hardly at all. But my daughter could go out there. She could handle her, do anything. The old horse would just stand there. She'd put the saddle on her, get up on her, and she'd just walk off just as calm. She could whip her and everything. She'd get into a little little trot, but never run. She was totally safe on that horse. Well, she got to be about 14 or 15, and one day I come in, she said, Daddy. And she'd call this horse Penelope. This was a name she had named her. She said, Daddy, Penelope's not fast enough. I need a new horse. I said, oh, okay. I said, I'll get you one. Well, she said, Daddy, I want to go with you when you buy it because I want one just like I want. I said, okay, I know what you want. I'm your daddy. I know what you want. No, Daddy, you don't really know what I want. I said, yes, I know what you want. So I talked to a friend of mine that used to have a bunch of play day horses. I said, Roger... You got any play day horses that uh, you're getting ready to retire? He said, oh, yeah, I got one that we've won all kinds of stuff with. said, he's getting a little bit old to, you know, to run like this, but said, he's a great horse. I said, what do you want for him? He told me. And I said, well, I'd like to have him for Amanda. She wants something that's much more powerful, and she wants something that'll run. He said, this will be perfect for her. I said, all right. I went ahead and gave him a check, and I said, he said, I'm going to be out there in a couple days. I'll just drop him off out there in your pasture. I said, good. So I got home that afternoon. I said, Daddy, I bought you a horse. Oh, Daddy, what does he look like? I said, I don't know. I hadn't seen him yet. Daddy, you bought me a horse and didn't even look at him? I said, no. I said, you'll be happy. I guarantee you. Guarantee you'll be happy. Daddy, if you haven't seen him, she said, Daddy, I'm so upset at you. You should have ducked me. I want to see this horse. He can't be what I want. You don't know what I want. I said, oh, yeah. I know what you want. So a couple of days later, I come in and she said, Daddy, he's exactly what I wanted. Wow, is he beautiful? We went down there and we put the saddle on that thing. And I said, let, let me ride him first. I got up on that horse and I just let up on the reins. Just all, once I hit the saddle, and when I let up on the reins, that horse was a play day horse. He's used to running barrels and do all those things. He just leaped out there. I almost caught, had slept, grabbed the saddle horn as I slid off the back and pulled myself back up. After I rode him around after a little while, I brought him back. I said, okay, honey, he's yours, but you better hang on tight. So I held him till she got on. And she got on, and she was used to whipping Penelope or kicking her in the sides, you know. So she's got the reins, and she says, go, boy. When she kicked him in the sides, both front feet come off the ground about that high. And, man, he was out there and gone. The time she'd come back around the pasture, she said, wow, Daddy, this thing is a horse. I said, that's what I told you. He's a horse. I knew what you wanted. See, she could not grasp in her own mind that I knew what she wanted and that I could buy what she wanted without seeing it. Now, do you think God knows what you want? Yes, He knows exactly what you want. He made you. He will, If you will be obedient and serve the King and trust Him and walk holy and upright before Him, he will give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you the desires of your heart. 
I mean, all you got to do is walk humbly before Him, walk in obedience to His Word, read His Word, stay out of sin, walk in righteousness and holiness, and stay in the secret place of the Most High God. If you'll dwell there with the King, He will meet all of your needs. He'll go beyond your wildest dreams. Your wildest dreams. All you got to do is believe. Walk in faith. Mm. Verse 20 of chapter 10 says, The tongue of the just is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for want of wisdom. The lips of the righteous feed many. Have to stop and meditate on that a minute to think about what God's trying to say. We do not realize what we cause to happen with our tongues and our lips, how powerful they are. But He, God says the lips of the righteous feed many, not a few, multitudes. But fools die for want of wisdom. Fools die. The mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom, but the forward tongue shall be cut out. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speaketh forwardness. Are you beginning to see the power in your tongue and your lips? I mean, if you want to walk in divine health, I want you to know that to walk in divine health... The most important thing you can do is learn how to control your tongue. If you don't learn how to control your tongue, this will be what will happen to you. I walk into church one morning, you know, or one afternoon or whatever, and I walk up and I say, Brother, how are you doing today? And you say, Well, I don't feel very good today. You know, I'm having a little problem here. I must be coming down with bronchitis and... Also, I've been having a little back pain over here, and, you know, I guess I'm just getting old, and I got a little pain. I got a little pain in my leg down here, you know, and, and, and my arthritis has been bothering me a little lately. I know none of y'all ever heard a Christian talk like that in church. What are they saying with their lips and their mouth? Speaking death over themselves with their own tongue. If you speak those kind of words, you cannot get a person healed that lives there. They must learn how to speak God's Word. If you walk in and say, how are you doing, brother? Say, well, praise God, I'm doing good. The Word of God says I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus and that i got power and authority over the devil. But the devil come by my house last night and he gave me a headache, but I'm standing on the Word and by his stripes I'm healed. Would you join your faith with me and help kick this devil out in the name of Jesus? And when you get a Christian like that, guess what? You can get Christians that learn how to walk in divine health. Just like my lovely bride. Oh boy, that's awesome that she kicked a devil out of a woman in Home Depot. Oh, Office Depot. Okay, Office Depot. There in Office Depot, I mean, I've done that so many times to people that whenever people come in with a headache, you've got to realize it's a spirit of pain. Somebody says, well, no, 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 it's, it's just whatever. It, I've got this. No, I've got a headache. You have a spirit of pain. Now, that little demon can be in you or he can be sitting on your shoulder with a clamp around your head. Either way. But I have done that so many times to people. And since 
I learned that Jesus bore our pain on the cross. The Word of God clearly says in Isaiah 53, chapter 53, verse 4, that Jesus bore your pain. Now, if Jesus bore your pain on the cross, did He plan for His bride to bear pain? No. No, not at all. Just like Cheryl and I are now one. She's my bride. This morning, when she woke up this morning, she said, Honey, I'm having a little pain in my knee. And I said, Well, my goodness gracious, let me have a hold of that knee. And I restored and put my hands on that knee, and I rebuked that spirit, and I said, Be healed in the name of Jesus. And then she said, Also, my thumb's not, uh, it's kind of, you know, not got a lot of feeling in it this morning. I said, Let me have a hold of that thumb. I restored and prayed over that thumb, and in a few minutes, she said, it's moving into my fingers. I said, that's okay. It's gone. It's done. It can't fail. Well, then just a matter of a few minutes, her hand's perfectly normal and her leg is too. Now, what should we learn to pray over? Everything. But when you pray, you need to quote the Word of God and pray in faith. When you pray in faith, if you pray believing, I mean, just think. I mean, Jesus made an awesome statement to us. If there's two of you, if you're a man and a wife, you're living together and you're in the same house. Jesus made an awesome statement in Matthew 18, 19, didn't he, Terry? If you and Frank, man and woman, man and wife, right here, I'm telling you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it would be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. So if you as the spiritual leader of your home and you as the woman of the house and you two are walking in a love relationship with God and with each other, you can take that promise and quote that to the king. And what did he say to do for you all, Frank? He said he'd do anything, didn't he? Did the king cut us short? No, he left us everything. Everything belongs to us. Now, what if you don't pray? What if you don't pray? What if you think, well, it's just a, my knees bothering me this morning. It's just one of them things I just have to put up with. Well, my thumb, you know, it's, it's don't, it don't feel good, but I guess, it, you know, I guess that's a, just what happens to you when you get a little older. Just one of those things. Well, if you, if you talk like that, guess what? It's still there. Your problem's still there. Your knee's still hurting. Your thumb's still hurting and all kinds of stuff. And you go through life with all this pain. But if you realize that Jesus bore your pain, you don't have to live there. So in the name of Jesus, we've been given all this power and authority. And the mouth will get it done for you. Now then, chapter 12, of Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 It says, there is that speaketh like the piercing of a sword. Those that speaketh. This is done with the tongue and the lips. There is that speaketh like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. The tongue of the wise is health? So if you learn how to talk, you can bring health to you with your tongue, right? Goodness gracious alive. Isn't that amazing? Who would ever dream that you'd get somebody healed with your tongue? How are you going to do that? Well, I don't know. Maybe you have to go over and slurp on them a couple of times like an ice cream cone. I don't know. No, I don't think that's what God meant. Do you? You speak the Word. That's right, Terry. You speak the Word of God. When you speak the Word of God, everybody that Jesus healed in the Word, how did He get it done? He spoke it. How did God make the heavens and the earth in the beginning? He spoke it, and it happened. Now, if He put that same kind of power in you and me, but limited our power to the earth, then our tongues, when we learn how to speak, what kind of wonderful things can we do? What did He say the tongue would do in verse 18 there? The tongue of the wise is what? Health. 
It's health. So if you learn how to speak with your tongue, you can bring health to all your flesh with your tongue. I mean, that's almost difficult to comprehend, isn't it, young lady? To think that you can speak health with your tongue. You can also speak death with your tongue. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Now then, verse 19 says, The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. A lying tongue. That will bring sickness and disease to you. Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. There shall no evil happen to the just. What? What did he say? No evil shall happen to the just. Now then, where do you want to live? As a just or an unjust? Do you want to live in righteousness and holiness so that no evil can come near you? Because when evil comes near you, evil is what makes you sick. Evil is what brings disease. Evil is what brings all the stealing, killing, and destroying to the world. And it's amazing. It's just like the other day. It's so devastating to me to think that most of my life I had no knowledge of these great and awesome principles. None. Absolutely none. In, in fact, I think about just a few months ago when I was asked to come down to one of the hospitals to pray, or children's hospital here in Dallas. And I went through there and I walked through that place. And as I walked through that place looking for the room, I was devastated at the children that were in that place in wheelchairs, arms missing, legs missing. I was awestruck at what I saw. And I thought, Lord, I don't care what happens to me as long as I can walk and got two arms and I can see, may I never complain or grumble about nothing ever. Here's these poor little children that's never going to have a chance and many of those children are in that hospital because the parents were on drugs or alcohol or they lived in some kind of gross sin and those children were born like that. They're never going to have a chance. I mean, just think, if your mother was a drug addict, chances are you were born addicted to drugs. Or if your mother took some kind of strange pills or medication to try to have a more easy pregnancy and then they found out that that drug caused you to be born without an arm or whatever. That happens to people all the time. But by faith, we can overcome those things, but there's very few people ever get to that point. I think about that woman that I walked up to in a Baptist church the other day. I walked up and I shook her hand and she had one arm right here, gone from here down. And I shook hands with her, and I asked her if she's a Christian. She said, yes. I said, ma'am, would you mind if I ask you what happened to your arm? She said, I was born without it. I said, oh. I said, could I pray the prayer of faith for you to God to give you a new one? She looked at me and said, no. No. She said, I've learned to do quite well without it, thank you. I said, oh, okay. I just thought I'd ask. So I walked on off. You know why she said what she said? Because she's been in a Baptist church all of her life. She ain't never seen God do a miracle. So she sure don't think he's going to answer my prayer and give her a new arm. This is some crazy guy. 
So she asked a few people around, who is that crazy guy? And two or three people said, that man has more faith than anybody I've ever seen in my life. He has called people back from the dead. He has seen brain cells put back together. He's seen new organs created in people's bodies. She said, what? Are you serious? Well, after that, she became a lot friendlier to me. (laughs) But I've never asked her again if I can pray the prayer of faith for her yet. I'm waiting for her to build her faith. What I'm really waiting for is one day for the Lord to say, when I see her, I'm waiting for him to say, son, she's ready. Pray the prayer of faith for her, and I'll give her a new arm. And when he does, I'm going to go over and say, ma'am, could I pray the prayer of faith for you for a new arm? You know, you think about Smith Wigglesworth. Whenever he stayed in the home of the man that right here, right above his knees, the man was born with no legs. So Smith was sitting there that night. He was spending the night with this man. He's preaching in the church there. And he looked over at him and he says, in the morning, he didn't pray for him or nothing. He said, in the morning, when you get up, go down to the shoe store and buy you a pair of shoes the color and the size you want. He said, sir, what am I going to do? And he said, put them, on, put them on them nubs. He thought Smith Wigglesworth was crazy. So he goes to bed that night, and in the middle of the night, he was awakened with a dream. And the Lord spoke to him and says, in the morning, you do what my servant told you to do. So the man didn't sleep no more that night. <laughs> the next morning, he was in his wheelchair, and whenever the shoe store opened, he was sitting there in London at the street, at the door, and when the man came in, he rolled in, and he says, what can I do for you, sir? He said, I want to set a black eight low-quarter Oxford shoes. So he goes and gets them and said, would you like me to wrap them for you? He said, no, I want you to put them on me. He said, but sir, you have no feet. He said, I know, but put it right there on that nub. And the guy thought he was crazy. <laughs> but he took the right shoe out and stuck it on that nub, and a foot formed and a leg formed in that shoe. He said, now put the other one on, and he did. And the same thing, and the man stood up out of a wheelchair and walked out of the shoe store and left his wheelchair there and his new shoes and his new legs. That really happened. Now, if you are willing to walk that holy before God like Smith Wigglesworth did, and you're willing to pay that price that Smith Wigglesworth did, then God will do the same thing for you and me he did for Smith Wigglesworth. But that's the, that's the thing. He paid the price. And we will have to do the same thing. Now, Smith Wigglesworth was a man that never... He's way beyond me because he never read but one book in his life, the Bible. He never read a book about the Bible. He only read the Word. He never read a newspaper. He, Of course, back in those days... There was radio at the last part of his life, but the first part there wasn't. He never read newspapers, never listened to radio. There was no television. But he never did any of those things secular. He only read the Word of God. He prayed. He fasted. He lived a clean, holy life before God. And this man was so powerful with God. And he worshipped and praised the Lord and operated in all the gifts of the Spirit. He was so powerful with God that when his wife died, when she, she was 65, about 65, and when they come, I, th- I thought about him, the, when they told me about mine dying and my daughter, and I thought about the way I responded, he also showed no feelings. They said, Smith, Polly just died. 
He just turned and said, where did you lay her body? I said, she's in the upper bedroom at your home. So he gets in the police officer and the preacher or whatever it was, the doctor that came over there to get him. It was a two or three hour drive over there. And they got in that wagon and they drove back two or three, four hours in that buggy. And he walked in and said, where is Polly? They said, she's upstairs in the bedroom, in the bed. Now, she's been dead six or eight hours. Rigor mortis has already set in her body's hard and stiff and cold. He goes up there and sits down beside the bed and lays his hand on his wife and said, You death, I rebuke you, spirit of death, and I command your spirit back in you in the name of Jesus. And his wife sat up immediately on the bed, looked him right in the face said, Smith, what do you mean calling me back from the Lord? I was in heaven with the Lord. What are you doing calling me back? He said, Polly, I can't live without you. She said, yes, you can. It's my time to go home. It's my time. He said, I'm not going to let you go unless you can guarantee me that it's your time. They sat there and talked for 20 or 30 minutes. And finally, she convinced him that it was her time to be home with the Lord. And so they kissed and loved each other and everything. And he said, okay, if you're sure, I now release you back into the hands of the Lord. And that body fell that cold and stiff, dead right there on that bed. We have been given great and awesome power in the name of Jesus if we'll walk holy before God. And some of these things that you see, some of these stories that you hear, some of you are like I was. The first time I heard a story like that, I thought, I don't believe that. Somebody made that up. But I'm telling you, these are not stories. These are true stories. These things really happen. There is at least 23 risings from the dead in Smith Wigglesworth's ministry. I know today a man, and I've stood in his presence, listened to him talk, and met him personally, that is in Mexico. And if you're not, if you're a deacon in his church, you must have raised at least one person from the dead, or you can't be a deacon in his church. There have been over 500 risings from the dead in his church in Mexico. Over 500. I mean, it's awesome what God does if you walk holy before Him and believe Him. Only believe. Only believe. But the church today, we are eat up with unbelief. We do not believe that God can do these mighty things today. But He is a faith God. And when you get a hold of that, when you start doing some things in faith, and you start speaking the right things out of your mouth, you're going to see the Lord do some great and mighty things. So, I mean, great and mighty things. In, the, in fact, it's just, I think about a man like Smith Wigglesworth and many others that have walked greatly above any anointing I have ever walked in. But I want to get there. I want to get there. But I see people all the time that come to me that are young people or even old people, but have never seen God do anything. And when they hear some of the things God's done through this ministry, they say, man, if I could only get where you are. Well, see, I guess that's the way it works. You want to get where I am, and I want to get where they are. So there's never a limit, or never an end. We should never be satisfied. The goal should be becoming just like our king. And I guarantee you that that'll take some work to get like the king. But he says we can do it. He says become perfect just like he was. So if we will do that, we can see the king do great and mighty things because he's in us. So if we're walking holy before Him, we're learning how to talk, control our tongue, and control everything we do, and hide the Word in our heart 
walking holy, when we speak in his name, he will show up and do great and mighty miracles for you. And I'm going to tell you, I love it when the Lord shows up to do these mighty miracles. I love it. I mean, it's, it's, it's so awesome to see him do the wonderful thing we've got to see him do. Now then, no evil happens to the just, but the wicked shall be filled with mischief. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. A prudent man concealeth knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness. You know, you don't realize how many words... As I went through the Word of God and pulled these scriptures out as I was reading the book of Proverbs, I, I looked up things that tongue and lips and so on and so forth and mouth, and I thought, goodness gracious, alive, Lord. How many things is in this book that talks about the tongue, the mouth? I said, Lord, no wonder we don't see you do anything because we have not learned how to control our tongue. We speak the wrong things. Now then, if... You will learn how to talk. The Lord clearly said, He says, Let the weak say they are strong, but the poor say they are rich. But you know what we normally say? We say the problem. We always speak the problem instead of what the Word says. Now see, I had learned these principles and learned these good. And by teaching a healing school like this for five years now, of course I'd only been teaching it a couple of years whenever my major... Uh, test in my life came along but to be able to call my granddaughter and Kelly back from the dead I knew I had to control my tongue now let's think about this a minute as a normal Christian that's going to church all the time not a person in the world but a Christian you walk into a hospital room and the doctor tells you you go and say you get to feeling bad number one you go into the hospital and the doctor tells you I'm sorry you have stage four lymphoma terminal cancer in every organ of your body. You will be dead in a month. What does the average Christian say? They fall apart. They start crying. They go start calling all their friends and say, Would you please pray for me? I've got terminal cancer and I'm going to die in a month. Well, let me tell you, as long as they're saying that and claiming that, ain't no prayer in the world can get that man or woman healed. Everybody they call, they're crying and say, I have terminal cancer. I have terminal cancer. I'm going to die in a month. I need you to pray for me. That's the wrong thing to say. That's just like when Caitlin and Kelly were laying there on their totally, supposedly, deathbeds. Now, you think about this. This is the diagnosis. You walk into a hospital room, and before you get to see a little three-year-old girl laying there, the doctor tells you, I'm sorry. They cannot live. Fine, doctors. Well, what's wrong? Well, number one, when her face hit the seat in front of her, it tore her face all to pieces. We don't even know how many bones is broken in her face. Her skull is crushed in five places. Her brain stem is severed from her brain. Her eyes are disconnected from her brain. The pressure on her brain is 20, and that's not critical. That's critical, critical, and she's going to decease any second. There's numerous problems inside. We don't even know. She's bleeding out her mouth, her ears, her eyes, and her nose. Everything, blood's coming out everywhere, and her right knee is crushed, and her left leg's broken in two places. It's impossible. She'll be gone in a few moments. 
So how do you receive that? What do you do with that? What have they just said with their tongue? They've spoken death. Now then, what am I going to have to do to call that little girl back from the dead? I'm going to have to learn to speak life. That's exactly right. Now then, if Jesus, if, uh, in the New Testament, I want you to look in your Bible, and I want you to see what John 15, 7 says. Now, John 15, 7, I want you to look at that great and awesome promise. Now, this is under the New Covenant. This is mine and your covenant. This is what Jesus, once He defeated the forces of darkness, this is just one of the many promises that Jesus says you can claim, and you're going to have to do this with your tongue. Now, I want you to think about this, and I want you to look at this magnificent promise. Look at this statement. John 15, 7. Now, then, in John 15, 7, if you look at this awesome, awesome statement, you've got to realize either this book means what it says, or it does not mean what it says. And if it means what it says, and this is a new covenant that's written to you and I, Jesus is saying here in John 15, 7, if you abide in me. Now, see, there's a requirement. If you abide in me. Now, what if you don't abide in him? You're in trouble. This won't work for you, will it? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then he says, you shall ask what you will. And sometimes, every once in a while, if I feel good, I'll do some of them for you. That's not the way your Bible read? That's why you've got to have your Bible out because you can't never tell when a preacher reads it. He may not be telling you the truth. That right, young lady? Guarantee. You don't never trust what no preacher tells you. You get your Bible out. If he's reading it, you look at it. And you see what he's told you. Now, the Word of God in my Bible says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. That's what mine said. Now, if you and I are Christians, and there is a requirement there. Now, how do you make, how do you abide in Him? How do you abide in Jesus? Do you, read, do you go to church on Sunday? Will that get it done? That'll be a start, won't it? No, so you read the Bible every morning before you go to work. Will that be a little better? Talk to Him a few minutes after you pray. After you read a little while, that might be a little better. Maybe at noon, you, maybe at breakfast, you even say grace over the breakfast. Reckon that'd be a good place to start too? Reckon at noon when you go in, are you going to have a, a, a glass of cold water at 10 o'clock? And you just grab that up and gobble it down? Or do you think it would be better to talk to God and say, Lord, thank you for this beautiful glass of water? Amen. Is that beginning to abide in Him just a little? And you go in at noon and you sit there in a cafeteria where all kinds of people are non-believers. And you've got to sit there and you've got to say, Grace, well, let me, Lord, let me say it quietly under my... I don't want nobody to... And let me just look and I'll just kind of gently say this. No, no, no. Walk in and say, Lord, thank you for this beautiful meal. Thank you, Lord, that you provided this for me, Lord. I'm so grateful that you're my king. Lord, I want to thank you for this beautiful stuff that you satisfy my mouth with daily. I want to praise you and thank you for it. People say, who is that fool? <laughs> who is that fool? Well, let me tell you, a lot of people will talk about you like that and you'll say all them things. But when you do that with a king and you abide in him like that, and then he said, if my, and then if you study the word and my words abide in you, then when you walk into that hospital room, and everybody says, oh, there comes that guy was a fool. He's the one that's always talking about Jesus. <laughs> and then you walk in, they tell you that what the problem is. You say, no problem. Jesus made me a promise. 
John 15, 7. Did He make you a promise? Now, they'd had the requirements, though, but if you've met the requirements, if you've studied His Word, you've loved Him, you've praised Him, you've worshipped Him, you've hid His Word in your heart, you've studied it, you've spoken it, and all those things, what did the king say you could ask Him for? You think He really meant that? Okay, then, what is the problem, then, if you've got a little girl laying there and the doctor says she's going to die? What are you going to do? You're going to agree with the doctor? No. You're going to agree with the devil? No. No. You're going to say, Father, in Jesus' name, you said right here, your son when he was on earth. He said in John 15, 7, Father. So, Lord, I've met the criteria. I'm asking you to raise up that little girl. I'm asking you to fix that face. I'm asking you to take every scar off that face. I'm asking you to reconnect that brain stem. But now, sir, nobody can reconnect a brain stem. It's obvious you don't know my Jesus because Jesus said in Luke 1, 37, with God, what's... Oh, nothing. You read that too. Nothing's impossible with God, right? So I don't know about the rest of the world, but I'm just, I'm just simple enough like you. I believe if He said it, He meant it, don't you? So if Jesus said it, I believe He meant it. I believe the King can do anything. So whenever you say, after you do that, and then the Lord did say, you must believe with no doubt in your heart. No doubt in your heart. So then here's what you do to confirm to the world that you believe the Word. When you say, Lord... Raise her up, make her well. Then you turn to him and say, I guarantee in the name of Jesus, my king is going to do what he promised in his word. Sir. Yes, sir. Wait, wait just a second. Let me, so that uh, it'll be on the tape, sir. Uh, so that somebody, later somebody will listen to this tape and they won't be able to hear your voice. I decided that I wanted to meditate on that verse 7. And I said, Lord, how do I abide? What do I do to abide? He said, look at verse 10. He said, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Then he took me back to, to John fourteen twenty one. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, which means brooding over them, meditating over them, garrisoning around them, shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Amen. Isn't that awesome? And you tie those three together. In fact, you go back one more chapter to John thirteen thirty four and 35. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Don't say you love me if you don't keep my commandments. Amen. Amen. And it's you know, 13, 14, and 15, all in a row talking about the same things. How do I abide? I keep his commandments. Amen. Keep his Praise commandments. God. Amen. It works wonderful, doesn't it? Amen. Amen. Praise the King. So now then, if we're willing to abide in Him, keep His commandments, walk righteously, learn how to talk, all these things are requirements. See, the Word of God, that's why it's taken me 30 years of intensive study to get where I am. This certainly didn't happen overnight. It did not, I did not get there overnight, I can assure you. And the reason I didn't get there overnight is because this is a very thick book. And it, you have to spend a lot of time with God to get there. So, But if you will take this book, just like he was saying, 
If you start reading this book, Lord, what do you mean by abiding in you? Well, he'll give you the answer somewhere right on down there. He says, them that keep my commandments abide in me. So if you keep his commandments, you read through the commandments, and what is the commandment that we're trying to keep? Love one another. Love. Love does no evil to its neighbor. All the law is fulfilled in this, that you love one another. Now, if you walk in love, did you realize that faith will not work except you walk in love? So if you've got a grudge against somebody for something, your faith will not work. You cannot speak the things of God and see it come to pass. You have to keep His commandments. Now, if you're walking in that secret place, you're dwelling in the secret place of the Most High God. Where is the secret place of the Most High God? It's in the third heaven, in the throne of grace, in the Holy of Holies. So if you're, you're dwelling and living in that place with God, you're keeping His commandments, you're walking in love, you're walking holy before Him, you're doing everything He tells you to do, you're loving everybody, you're loving your neighbor, you're doing all these things exactly like God says. He said, then my son or my daughter, come and ask me anything. Anything and I'll do it for you. And so then when you know you have heaven behind you, and you know you're dwelling in His love, and you know you're walking holy before Him, you know you're not giving place to the devil through some kind of sin, you know you're not lying, you know you're not cheating, you know you're not stealing from your company, you know you're keeping all of God's commandments, you're walking holy before Him. He says, then come and ask me anything, and I'll do it for you. Is that a pretty awesome statement from the king? So now then, when you come to this place where I was, I needed, I needed a promise like that. Now, if I hadn't been walking holy before God, and I wasn't keeping His commandments, would this promise have worked for me? No, it would not. So when I walked in there, I could have screamed, I could have cried, I could have quoted the Word of God, I could have done anything I wanted to do. And guess what would have happened to my grandbaby? She would have died. That's right. Because the Lord says, Son, I want to do it for you, but you didn't meet the requirements. That's just like a man the other day, and I don't know who it is. If he's here today, you can say, a man come to me, he's only been coming here two or three months. And he said, I hear you talk, teach these things, I read these things, they're in the Word. So he said, I tried my best to make one of them work for me the other day. And he said, I spoke something, and he said, nothing happened. And so he said, I did it again, and it didn't happen. And I said, Lord... What is it? When Thurman does it, it works. But it didn't work for me. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, Son, you're not there yet. That's what he told him. You're not there yet. Well, guess what? When I was two months old in the faith, guess what? I wasn't there yet either. If I had had a tremendous event happen like this even 10 or 15 years ago, I was not there either. I would have lost my granddaughter and Kelly, more than likely, along with my wife and daughter. Because I was not there. My faith was not that strong. But I had now been teaching a healing school for two years. Only two years. Now I've been teaching this thing five years. Five years I've been doing this. Only now I'm doing it two times a month. And like Cheryl was talking to me, this, I believe it was this morning, she said, Honey, I'm not reading the Word near as much as I used to. But she said, You know, I still feel like I'm immersed in the Word of God. She said, You know, I'm going to two healing schools a month. You know, she said, I'm going to 
most of the time two Bible studies a week. You know, I'm in church every Sunday almost, and you teach the Word and said, you speak the Word all the time in prayer with me. Ever. She said, I feel like I'm constantly immersed in the Word of God. We may not be spending as much time reading the Word as we were before, but we're still immersed in the Word. Because where we go, we talk about the Word. We pray over everything all the time. Now then, if you want to continue to abide in the Lord, you've got to stay in that secret place. And so every once in a while, when she's out doing something else or shopping or whatever, when I don't go with her, well, I get in there and open the Word, just me and God. They get locked up with just me and God for a little while. So I really get some good time with the king like that. It's, it's fun, you know, to get in with God and get in His Word and read and study these things. But that mighty promise of John fifteen seven, if you're abiding in Him and you're living in Him and sickness and disease does come to your house, chances are you're not fully abiding there or the sickness and disease would not have come to your house. Now, I, that, a lot of people don't like that. I mean, that's just like a man the other day. I'll tell you this and we're going to take a break. There was a man came here the other day and he wanted me to pray for him. I said, what's wrong with you, sir? He said, I have a brain tumor. I said, okay. I said, are all your sins confessed? He said, well, yeah, I think so. I said, his wife was standing right there with him. I said, how's your relationship with your wife? He said, it's good. I said, okay. I looked at her. I said, how's your relationship with him? She broke down and started crying. She said, it's awful. I said, okay, one of y'all are lying. And I think it's you, sir. I said, your wife broke into tears. I don't think you're treating her like a lady. He said, well, she did something and I don't like it. I said, okay. You've got to forgive her. He said, no, I'm not going to forgive her. I said, do you realize? I said, are you washed in the blood of Jesus? He said, yes, I am. I said, you know, the Lord told you to keep his commandments and to love your wife. He said, I know, and that means forgiving her. He said, well, I'm not going to forgive her. I said, okay, let me tell you this. The reason you're not going to forgive her, since you're not going to forgive her, that's the reason why you have the brain tumor. I said, you've opened the door to the demonic world. Matthew 18, 21 through 35 clearly says that if you will not forgive every one of your brothers from your heart, God himself will turn you over to the tormenting spirits and those demonic spirits will come into you to torment you. And I said, that's why you got this brain tumor. Because you have held a grudge against your wife. I said, now then, let me make you another statement. I said, if you will not forgive her, Matthew 18, 21 through 35, Jesus clearly told the parable. And then in the last verse, he talks about turning them over to the tortures and everything. And then in the very last verse, 35, he says, But if you do not forgive, Peter, this is the way my heavenly Father will do each one of you. If you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. He will turn you over, not only you, but your entire family. And everything you own will become legal property of the devil, the tormenting spirits. I said, Son, let me tell you something else. The Word of God clearly says in several places that if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart, neither will God forgive you your sins. And I said, so let me, put, let me make this statement to you. Now, I don't want to be dogmatic about this. I'm not going to say I have a corner on the market, but I believe I'm right. I said, if you don't forgive your wife and you died, even though you're washed in the blood, you still die and go to hell. He said, are you telling me I can lose my salvation? I said, I'm going to tell you you already lost it. If you're holding a grudge against your wife and you die in that sin, 
He said, I'm going to go to heaven. I said, let me tell you what. If Jesus, if I stood at the doorway to heaven, and he came to the door, and he said, who are you? And I said, I'm Thurman Scrivener. He said, and why should I let you in? I said, because I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He said, but didn't you read where I said, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, neither will I forgive you your sins? Well, Lord, I read that, but I'm washed in the blood. He said, I know you're washed in the blood, but I told you, you had to forgive everybody from your heart. If you do not forgive them, neither will I, God, forgive you. And since I, God, cannot forgive you, I am not going to let you in my heaven. I said, I believe that with all my heart, brother. I said, if you don't forgive from your heart, I don't think you can go to heaven even washed in the blood. He said, I don't believe that. I said, okay. And I may be wrong. I may be wrong. But I'm going to tell you what, sir. I am not going to stand in his presence one day and put him to the test to find out if that's right or wrong. I'm going to forgive everybody from my heart. I'm going to walk in love. And when I stand in his presence, I only want him to hear one thing. I want him to put his arm around me and say, come on in, son. Well done, my faithful servant. I don't want anything. Do you have a question, honey, or just, no, just hope? The, the thing about it is, the thing about don't put God to the test. You know, if he tells you sin brings forth death, don't go out and say, well, Lord, I'm going to sin a little here and a little there, and I'm going to try you and see. And then one day when you're 36 years old, you wind up on your deathbed. And you say, hey, it really did work. Call that preacher. Have him come over. I'm going to confess my sins and get healed. Maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. Because, see, if you knew these things and you began to sin and you walked in that sin, if you walked in it knowing that sin brings forth death, you're putting God to the test now. And God says, don't put me to the test. He says, you might have committed the sin unto death. So now then, if you've committed the sin unto death, guess what? God's not going to forgive you. You're going to die. Now, I don't want to go there, do you? I, don't want, I want to live to be an old, healthy man. And I take that back. I want to have lots of years on me, but I want to be a young, old, healthy man. Because the Lord renews my youth daily like the eagles. In fact, uh, Cheryl and I, we're joking with each other all the time. You know, we're uh, talking about, we're laying there uh, in the bed the other night talking. And she said, you know, I feel like a teenager. I said, me too. <laughs> Praise the King. I feel like a teenager. Glory to God. Now, that's wonderful when you can get to be our age and still feel like a teenager. That's a wonderful place to live. So, it, because we pray. Yeah, because we pray. We believe God's promises. Did the Lord say in His Word, in uh, uh, Psalms 103, did He say, forget not all the Lord's benefits? What are His benefits? I'm telling you, that's the best benefit package in the world. Forget not all His benefits. Number one, forgives what? All of our iniquities. Heals all of our diseases. All of them. Then why do we go run into the doctor every time we get sick? Why don't we confess our sin and trust Him? Oh, we don't believe Him, do we, Terry? Forgives all of our iniquities. Heals all of our diseases. He satisfies our mouth with good things. He crowns us with loving kindness, right? And renews our youth daily like the eagles. So the average person, when you pass 40, when you pass 40, they start thinking you're old. And when you get 50, your kids will have a, a funeral for you. You know, dad's always got one, one foot in the grave, another on a banana peel. And so that's the way we believe. 
But if you don't go there, if you'll believe God and stand on His promises and claim those promises every day, then you can run and play and do everything you want to, and you can get to be 70, 80, 90, or 100 years old, and still you can run and play and have lots of fun and enjoy living. Let me tell you, it works. Now then, we're going to take a break, and before we take a break, what we're going to do today, we always do this at a healing school. This is the way we support the ministry. We're going to take up an offering here, so I think Joshua or whoever, uh, if they brought our little bags, did you bring them? Okay. Oh, we got them right here. We got somebody already. Praise the Lord. If you want a deduction for your uh, taxes, if you fill out a check, write it to TLSM. And if you want uh, an envelope, if somebody needs an envelope so you can put your name and address, we have some over there, Frank. They're back here. See if you can find them there, Joshua. If you can pass out envelopes so everybody needs them. And if, uh, yeah, okay, here we got envelopes. Give them an envelope, and if you want one, just make sure you put your name and your address on there that I can read. Don't put on there Susie Jones uh, at 105 uh, Regal Row and no city or no zip code. I don't know where you live. I don't know who you are. So make sure you put your name, your street address, or your post office box, and your city, state, and zip code on there. And if and then if there's a question uh, at all, and if you want to, put your phone number on there. So, uh, in fact, like Elaine the other day, I wrote down a lady's name, and I was trying to write it down in a hurry. And that lady's supposed to be here at the healing school today. And I, the, a couple of days later, Elaine said, who is this? And I couldn't read my own writing two days later. I said, I'm not sure, but I had written the phone number down. So I said, okay, Elaine, call the lady. So she called the lady, and she got the name right. So phone numbers are wonderful. So let's pray over this, and we'll ask the Lord to bless this. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, as these people give into the ministry, we ask you to bless them, bless them abundantly, Lord, and we ask you to use the money that they give, that we will use it for your kingdom to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, then, just whatever you want to give, uh, put in the envelope or write your check and, and need more envelopes. Joshua, you got any more envelopes, or was that all of them? Right, we should have had a whole bunch more. I've got three or four more boxes at the house, but oh, you found them? Okay. I'll get them. And then, as soon as we get the offering tuck up, we're we're they're getting them. There they go. As soon as we get the offering tuck up, we'll take a fifteen or twenty minute break, let you walk around, go to the bathroom, and everything. Then we'll come back and we'll hit a whole bunch more of these promises in God's word. It's amazing how quick two hours goes by, or at least to me, may not have went by that fast for you, but. It sure did for me. Anybody else need an envelope? Praise the Lord. We'll give them, pass them out here. Give them the envelopes. and we'll. Yeah, just TLSM. Yeah, make a check. Just TLSM. Easy. That stands for the Living Savior Ministries. TLSM. And uh, make sure your address is there. Uh, if you give a check, probably it's on your check. So we can send you a tax donation at the end of the year. And so by us giving away all of our tapes... I don't have to be concerned about deducting a certain amount of money for what I sold you because I don't sell nothing. I give it away. So therefore, whatever you give this ministry, 100% of it is tax deductible. So that made life a lot easier for me in the bookkeeping world. 
Plus, I'd rather get my blessing from God anyway than people. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing what happens when you... Of course, the thing about it is when you give away your material, the people that's been beat upon by the devil the most can't afford it. And they're the ones that need it the most. And so by giving it away and not copywriting nothing, just letting everybody make all the copies they want to and give it away, the people get blessed. And of course, since God's in control... You know, it's amazing that somebody you never heard of in your life, and they say, my aunt made a copy, and my cousin made a copy, and this is six copies down, and I got a copy, and I heard you talking on here, and so you so inspired me, so I'm going to send you a $100 donation. And they do that all the time, you know. But when you're doing something for the Lord, the Lord's the one, He takes care of it. So I don't sweat nothing. I just say, Lord, this is all about you and you alone, and... And that's the way we do it. We got we got it all done. We got it to offerings all taken up and everything. Question, ma'am. I'm I'm fixing to start that right now. Yeah. In fact, uh, we're fixing to start CDs. In fact, we're probably within two weeks' time. I will have a brand new CD burner and everything. You know, I'm we're getting one right now. In fact, I talked with a a person. That so I want the person told me to not tell who this is, but there is a person that called me the other day wants to buy me a complete new state of the art CD burning system, and and they're going to pay for the whole thing. I said fantastic, and so they said you need CDs, and so uh, in the, within two or three weeks you're going to start seeing CDs appear here, and then eventually we're going to go to DVDs also on video. Yes, ma'am. Well, I got to, I was over at Gateway the other day, and, and even though Cheryl was there that day that I spoke, they made me three CDs. It was, it was a long teaching. Uh, so there was three 80-minute sessions, three. And so they recorded all three of them, and they gave me the tape. And, of course, I'm listening to them. She listened to it yesterday. She said, you know, I was there for most of it. And she said, I'm learning things myself. I said, honey, I listened to my own teaching. She's, she said, what do you mean? I said, you know, when the Holy Ghost is talking out of my mouth. There's things I learn when I listen to my own tapes. Sometimes some of my tapes I listen to more than you do. People say, why do you listen to your own teaching? I say, I'm trying to see what God's doing. You know, it's amazing. I mean, I'll tell you, the Caitlin tapes, the one I call Caitlin's Miracle, I went down to Bethesda in Palestine, and my dinner didn't take nothing. I went down and spoke for nearly three hours, two hours and 45 minutes. I had no idea they were recording it, and I was just teaching. I prayed for people, and all kinds of people got healed that day. All kinds of miracles and everything else. And the guy said, we taped this. Would you like to have them? I said, well, sure. So he gave me these two tapes. I started back from there to home. It's nearly four hours. I listened to three hours teachings. About 30 minutes into the teaching, I thought, my gosh, who is that guy? He's, he's anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. And I thought, that's me. <laughs> no, that wasn't me. That's the Lord. But that's what I'm saying. God does what. And, of course, those two tapes have been some of my most powerful teaching. I wasn't even going to record it. But that Caitlin Miracle has touched more people's lives and put marriages back together and healed more people than any other two tapes I've ever made. But now then, in this second hour, second portion of this thing, I'm going to go through some scriptures that show you what the Bible says you can do if you have faith and what you can't do if you have doubt in God. Now this is something you must have 
is faith in the Word of God. And number two, you must not doubt God's Word. Now then, before we get started with, with all this, I might ask, and I haven't done this at this healing school, is there anyone here, in fact, would you like to give your testimony? Would you like to come tell the people what God did? And then we'll see if there's anybody. Whoop, what I do with the mic? Here it is. And we'll just give you an opportunity. If you have a powerful healing testimony or something God's done for you and you want to tell us, come on up here and tell them what uh, happened to you just recently as you're learning how the Word works for you. So just give us a little bit of an idea here. Well, I'm new at this. So uh, Thurman has taught me us so much. And Thursday night in the garage, we were moving some stuff, and a big countertop fell on my foot. And my husband said, your foot is broke. It swelled real big, and it turned purple, dark, black, purple. And I was screaming so loud, I just said, you know, you've got to help me get in the house. And we got to, he got me to the bed. And after the excruciating pain left so long, then I said, God, I'm so sorry. I should have cried out to you first. And uh, so anyway, I started quoting the scriptures. Thurman has taught us to quote and and praising the Lord. And my husband come back in there in an hour. He said, Billy, your foot, it's not even black. It's, it's the, the color had went down. And so before I couldn't even walk. And then I laid there a while longer and I got up and I could walk on it, uh, you know, a little not put my whole pressure on it. And then before I went to bed, it had turned beige. And he had come back in there and he said, well, we need to make sure. And I said, no, Jesus is our healer. Thurman has told us that we depend on the Lord and he is going to heal my foot. And then the next morning I was able to walk on it totally in his back flesh color today. And that's two days. And I just praise the Lord for that. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Someone else here. Another, this fine young man. Give honor to God, y'all. My friend and I, we came down from Louisiana. You all are looking at Talk me. Talk a little louder. My friend and I came down from Louisiana. You know, he told me about Brother Thurman right here. I have, a, I had a, I had a problem. I had three aneurysms in my head and a stroke on my left side. I was connected to a life support machine with a 15% chance to live. And the doctor said, if I will live, I'll be a vegetable. But I'm struggling with something. I live in a poverty neighborhood, and my wife and I, you know, we split it up. And, and it's like every time I try to uh, do right, you know, it's something going, around, going wrong. And I definitely love the Lord. You understand me? And even right now, when I came in earlier, the day me and Brother Sturman, he prayed for me, and uh it's like I received, but I went I went to the bathroom back there, and I got ready to stand in line, and I caught a headache. And I was talking to my brother right there, and he told me, man, uh, some awesome stuff. But I just want to know, what can I do to keep my faith up? I really and truly believe in God, but I need to try to keep my faith strong. I'd like to know, what could it be? Continue to study the Word, brother. That's all you can do. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Some, somebody else got Another testimony. We've got two or three here. Okay, so we'll we'll take a few testimonies. Praise the Lord. I didn't realize how many I had here. Go ahead. Pat. I have a testimony about my mother. Uh, about three months ago, she and her husband came up to Dallas, and we took them to the Justin Healing School. And after the healing school, and these people are, my mother's 80 and her husband's 87, 
They'd been in an Episcopal church their whole life, so they never really got the word. So after the healing school, my mother went up and got prayed for. She'd had a back problem for 55 years, and the Lord instantly healed her. And her husband was trying to sneak through the line, and Thurman noticed his hands were just shaking, had Parkinson's. So Thurman just grabbed him and said, you're not going to sneak through here with those hands shaking. And he prayed over him, and he was instantly healed. Well, then about three weeks later, my mother called me one day at work, and she said, I have a rash all over my body. And I said, well, what did you do? And I said, did you get upset with somebody, or did, you know, what did you do? And she said, well, Eddie's, her husband's daughter, just dropped by at lunch, and mother said she just dropped by without calling, and she said, I got really angry. And she said, I've been trying to tell Satan to leave me alone all day, and this rash won't go away. And I said, Mother, I said, you've got to confess your sin. I said, you open the door for Satan to come in because of your attitude and your bitterness. So I said, I'm going to pray for you, and you repent, and then that rash is going to go away. So we did, and an hour later, the rash was gone. She called me, and she said, well, it's gone. And I said, well, now, good now. I said, watch your tongue. I said, because you're going to have another opportunity. You know, Satan always comes back. And I said, watch your tongue. Well, then a week or so later, she had his granddaughter and their two-year-old and the husband come for ten days. Well, that's a real test. Well, she failed the test. Well, she got, she started throwing up. And so her husband called 911, took her to the hospital. Well, she was in the hospital for two months. And we went up. I have a brother and a sister and a brother-in-law that have come down to Dallas from Seattle and Oregon. And so all of us were praying in the third heaven for my mother. And the doctors kept giving evil reports. She had two surgeries. Nothing was wrong with her. But they just kept believing the doctors kept believing the word curses that were spoken over them in the hospital. So all five of us were in the, going to the third heaven every day praying. Well, praise God, she got home this week. She is on fire for the Lord again. She's feeling great. And so just don't give up. Like Cheryl stood in the gap for her father for all those months. and. We stood in the gap for my mom, and God healed her. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Great. Um, I had surgery in February, and then uh, I came home, and then a few weeks later I had a terrible abscess on my behind, but my, my face was not strong, so I had to have it cut out. It cost probably about $1,400. Okay. And so a few weeks later, I suddenly, I couldn't barely breathe. For a whole weekend, it was awful. I couldn't barely function at my grandchild with me. It was just awful. And Sunday night, I've never had the paramedics in my house. Well, 4 o'clock in the morning, when I called you a week later, I didn't even tell you that. But anyway, I had the paramedics at my house, 4 o'clock in the morning. I was in bad shape. Well, they told me I was dehydrated. I didn't know that because I've been using my muscles more, whatever. Anyway, 
they told me to drink something and whatever. And I, they went away and I didn't go to the hospital. And then I, I just kind of went through the morning and I had to go to work the next morning. And I was dizzy again. The same, same thing stopped happening again. I had to crawl on the floor, you know, to get to the phone. And then I prayed and tried to do the things to do and nothing worked. And I said, I can't go on like this. I mean, if you can't walk, you know, if you're dizzy and you can't walk, it's pretty bad. You can't, you know, you can't function. So I called Thurman. Probably that's probably when I called you. I was so desperate. I thought I'd done all the things I needed to do and it still didn't work. So I called and so he repeated everything to me. You've done this, you've done this, you've done this. Okay. And now you called me. <laughs> so <laughs> he prayed for me. And guess what? And I, I'm, he didn't tell me that, but I'm convinced that after I hung up that phone, he knew I was really, it was really serious. I bet he prayed more. Well, long story short, an hour later, I was able to drive to, to work. So from then on, I, I, I had enough faith. Whenever it came back, it came back a few times because that's what the enemy, enemy does. It always comes back a little bit more to, you know, to kind of test your faith. I was able to pray, pray, pray so that it would, you know, the, the, the dizziness would go away. Well, it's gone now. That's wonderful. And another little thing happened. Also, I had an, that abscess here, as I told you, cost $1,400 to remove it. Then I had another one two or three weeks ago under here. I came on Tuesday night. I was in so much pain. I didn't even act, tell Thurman that it was an abscess. I just told him, I think my immune system is weak. And he prayed. And then I went home, continued to put that stuff under here, you know, and it was just awful for two weeks. And find that thing, this huge thing, it was huge, painful, went away. I didn't have to go to the hospital, have it cut out. And then another little thing came back up, but again, it never ended up being big. And so it really, really works. And one more little thing, it was really awesome. I, I spent a weekend over in Kerrville, Texas, with some special friends of mine. And they were both in the ministry, and I brought her the two tapes, the tongue tapes. And to this morning, I called her. I had to just say thank you again. It was so wonderful. Guess what? She said, oh, I have Thurman on. He's talking. Let me, let me turn him down so I can talk to you. He's listening to the tongue tape. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, goodness gracious. Anybody else? Oh, we got one right here. I'll take one or two more, and then we'll get back into teaching. I'll make this short. Uh, a few months ago, I started having problems with my postrate. Uh, I won't go into detail uh, what that's like, but um, my sister had sent me four of Thermos tapes. I listened to them. I hadn't thought in a long time about how important it is to confess your sins and to ask God to forgive you your sins. And I don't think I had done that since I was a teenager when I joined the Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. I went out in the backyard. I got out on my knees, and, uh, and I asked God to forgive me my many sins and then I asked God to heal me of this problem and uh, then I, I, I think I really just kind of forgot about it uh, I didn't think there'd be an instant healing and, and really it, there wasn't but I, over the next few days uh, this problem went away and, um, <clears throat> and and I appreciate so much my sister sending me Thurman's tapes uh, because I think that asking God to forgive me of my sins and asking for healing uh, 
that's what that is. And I feel like today I'm healed. And I, thank, I thank God. I thank God. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Amen. It's amazing what God does even for the tape, isn't it? Even with the tape. It amazes me what God does and has done in my life. In 99, I was diagnosed with MS. And due to complications from that, I wound up in a 42-day coma. And during my recovery, once I did wake up, I was told not to expect to ever father any more children. I was told I would never walk again. And I had a very difficult time feeding myself. Now I am, and at that time I was single. Now I am happily married. God gave me my wife. I am proud father of a one-year-old. And I walk, as you can see. I was in a... I was in a wheelchair for two and a half years. Now I walk, and that's all—all all of it due to the power of God. Amen. Confess and believe the word, and get completely well, brother. Praise the King. Glory to God. All right. Praise the Lord. I don't know why I didn't think about some testimonies before, but now let's see what the Bible says you can do if you have faith, and what you can't do if you have doubt in God's word. Matthew 14:31 is where I want to start. Matthew 14:31 Jesus said and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Now to get that story in detail, if you read in Matthew 14 starting with verse 24, you'll see there where Jesus came walking on the water. When Jesus came walking on the water, Peter saw him. First of all, they were afraid because normally you don't see a man walking on the water. That's not a normal thing that we see. But this man, which was a man, he knew his dominion. He knew his authority. He knew what he could do. Now, Jesus was a man. And he says in his word that if we can believe him with no doubt in our heart, we can do everything he did when he was here on this earth. He told us not only can we do the same things he did, But he says, greater things than these that I've done shall you do in my name. So, if Jesus said that, we need to start thinking like God. Because we definitely don't think like God. The majority of the church thinks like men. But these men didn't think like God. They saw a man walking on the water. I mean, that's something you see somebody do every day, right? Somebody comes walking to you on the water. No, no, not hardly. You'd be like the guy in the boat... There was a Baptist preacher, a Methodist preacher, and a Church of Christ preacher all went out fishing one day. And they, some of y'all heard this joke. I heard some of you laugh. So they go out here, and they're sitting out here, and they're fishing. And they run out of bait. And one of them says, the Baptist preacher said, I'm going to run back over to shore and get some bait. And he says, no problem. So he gets out, and he just walks right across on the water, you know, walks right, goes over and gets the bait, walks right back out and gets in the boat, and they fish a while. He runs out of bait. And after a little while, and the Methodist preacher, he said, I'm going to run back over and get us. So he walks on the water. He goes over and gets some more bait and comes back. They run out of bait again. The church guy's preacher said, look, I'm not going to be outdone. He said, you guys walked on the water. He said, if you can do it, I can do it. 
So he steps off the side of the boat and he goes under. <laughs> he gets up, he crawls back in the boat, and he says, I'm not going to be outdone. I'm going to do it. He steps off again. About four or five times later, every time he steps off, he goes completely under. And about the fifth time he comes up, that Baptist preacher says to the Methodist preacher, you think we ought to tell him where the rocks are <laughs> before he drowns himself? <laughs> they knew where the rocks were. They'd been there before. But he didn't know where they were. He thought they was really walking on water. So that's just like the other day when I heard a real well-known, Baptist, uh, not Baptist, but a, a preacher. <clears throat> he was at a party. And he is a very faith, very strong faith preacher. And somebody said something to him about this walking on water. He said, sure, I have that kind of faith. I can walk on water. So they said, okay, if you get... We're at a party. There's a swimming pool. He's got a big, beautiful, expensive three-piece suit on. And he don't wear cheap clothes, I'll tell you. He said, they said, okay, if you can walk on water, let's see you do it. So he said, okay, Lord, I have that kind of faith. So he said, I just go trotting off across there, right across that pool. And he said, man, I get out there and I just sink plumb to the bottom. And he said, on the way up, I'm saying, Lord, why, why, what happened? He said, the Lord spoke to me clear and said, son, you don't really have the faith. You were just trying to show out. He said, the Lord just told me that. He said, he spoke to me. I really didn't have the faith. I was just trying to show out. Don't put God to the test. Don't try to show out. Because if you do, it's not bringing glory to God. So if he had have walked on that water, I can only imagine what it would have done to him. It would have put a spirit of pride in him, more than likely. So you've got to realize that God knows exactly what he's doing. So, But Peter here and all the rest of the disciples, whenever Peter was told he could walk on water, Jesus told him, come to me on the water. So Peter had faith and he walked on the water. Now, any time you start walking on the water, I can assure you there's a tremendous lesson in Matthew 14 to learn. The enemy will always be there. Number one, the enemy, the God of this world, is the one that created that storm. He's the one that caused the high waves and the wind and all those things. And when Jesus came walking through the storm on the water, whenever they thought he was a ghost, and he said, no, it's just me, Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, let me come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter gets out with the faith he has and walks on the water. Now, this is another man walking on water. By faith, he's walking on the word on water. Now, then, of course, the enemy always shows up when you start to do something for God. In faith, the enemy will always show up and he'll either put symptoms upon you, he'll do anything he can to destroy you. He'll get you to looking at the big bruise on your foot or the pain in your foot and screaming and you'll forget to ask God to do something. See, that's what that's the way he works. But anyway, Peter believed and as he's walking on the water, when the devil comes and increases the intensity of the winds and the waves, Peter takes his eyes off of the Word and starts looking at his circumstances. And the Word of God says, when he did, fear came into his heart. When fear comes into your heart, faith goes out. Faith and fear cannot inhabit the same body at the same time. So when fear comes in, faith goes out, and fear always will make you sink, or always will make you lose. So when Peter started sinking, that's when he cried out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And that's in Matthew 14, 31. That's when Jesus immediately stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? 
Now, if Peter only had to have little faith to walk on the water, wonder where our faith level's at. Must be tiny, huh? It must be tiny. But if we have faith in God, nothing's impossible with us because Jesus gave him his answer. You of little faith, and you doubted. Because you doubted my word, that's why you lost your miracle. So you must believe with no doubt in your heart. Now then, in Matthew 21, 21. Matthew 21, 21, I want you to see the mighty, awesome statement that's made here. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not. Now that's a pretty strong prerequisite, isn't it? If you have faith and doubt not. Now the biggest word in the Word of God is that two little tiny letters, if. If you have faith. People say, Thurman, are you trying to tell me I'm sick because I don't have enough faith or I can't get this done because I don't have enough faith? I'm not telling you, I'm not saying I'm saying the Lord said that. Not me. Jesus said that. Jesus said, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree. Well, what was done to the fig tree? In the story, when you read, go back in Matthew 21 and read the entire story, Jesus spoke to the fig tree. And he commanded the fig tree to never bear figs again. When he spoke to the fig tree with his tongue, a man, he spoke in faith, and immediately the tree responded to his words, and the tree died. Now, if Jesus spoke to a tree and it died, when you start learning to speak things in faith, you can either cause life or death. You can either speak... Just like this fine young man up here on the front, he said when he listened to my tapes, he didn't realize the importance of forgiving and asking God to forgive him of his sins. So he goes out in the backyard and confesses his sins to God. Now guess what? Was God out there with him? I guess he was because he confessed his sin and then he asked God to forgive him. And a few days later, he didn't realize everything's gone. The sickness is gone. Is that wonderful? Is that wonderful? Now what if you don't know those things? You can stay in your sins and continue to let the door be open and the devil continue to come in. And if you don't never confess those sins, sooner or later, sin will kill you. Because it says sin, when it's fully matured, brings forth death. It brings forth death. See, a little bit of sin won't kill you right off, but a little bit more added to it will add to it, and a little bit more added to that, and to that, and to that, and to that, until sin is fully grown. When sin's fully grown, then it brings forth death. And that's when you die. Now then... What if you died at 30, or 20, or 25, or 14, or 6? That wasn't God's plan for you. He planned for you to live a long, healthy life. So, Jesus said here, If you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do that which is done to the fig tree, which spoke to it and it died, but also if you. Now, if you say. Now, is saying important? What we talk about the tongue? Is it important? If you shall say unto this mountain. You're going to say unto the mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and it shall be done for you. And then verse 22. And a few things... Uh-oh. Did, did I say that wrong? Oh, so your Bible don't say a few things? What does it say? Oh, and all things, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. So what kind of limitations did God give us, the church? None. All we've got to learn how to do is talk. Now, don't be like the woman that went out and said, somebody's here to preach or preach these things one day, and she said, okay, 
I've got a mountain right out back, back of my house behind my kitchen window, and I can't see where I want to. So the next morning she goes up and she says, Mountain, be removed in the name of Jesus. So the next morning she gets up and she walks the window and she looks out there and she said, Just exactly what I thought, it's still there. Did she have faith? No. Not at all. That's what we do with our sickness and disease. We speak to it one time, and it don't go away right then. And so since it don't go away right then, we wake up the next morning maybe in worse pain than we were when we prayed for it. And when we, it does not go away, when that does not happen, then we think, uh-oh, it didn't work for me. Now, when, you, when that happens, you're just exactly like Peter, and you doubt it. Yes, brother. When the apostles couldn't cast the demon out of the sun after the Mount of Transfiguration thing, and the, Jesus asked him, if you believe to the Father, and he said, help thou my unbelief. Will you speak to that? I will, yeah. <clears throat> the thing about it is, that is, our, that is the problem in the church today, unbelief. I've done some complete teachings on unbelief. Unbelief will prevent the power of God from flowing in anybody's life. But when... That man said, Lord, help thou my unbelief. The Lord was confessing to him that I recognize I have unbelief. I realize I'm just a piece of dirt. I'm flesh and blood. And it's difficult for me to believe these mighty promises of the kingdom. But Lord, please help my unbelief. Jesus had compassion and mercy on that man because he confessed his sin of unbelief. When you confess your sin of unbelief, you will see your healing speedily come forth. In the last year, I've seen more people in the church that were walking holy before God. I mean men and women that wouldn't think about sinning. I mean, they would, not, they would not commit any kind of known sin. They're holy in everything they do, but yet they got some kind of serious problem. And whenever I would find the answer, and Andy Warner was one of those young men. You may know him, right? The little boy that works with Bill Gothard all the time. Andy, 20 only 21 or 2 or 3 or 4 years old, whatever Andy is, and he's a fine young man walking holy before God, but he's already had one back surgery in his life, and a few months ago he was down for another surgery. When Bill Gothard called me and told me that Andy was supposed to, he's going to have to have surgery or something, he had tremendous problems in his back. He said, what do you say? I said, well, I say let's ask God to heal him, and let's believe it's done. So when I, the only sin I could find in Andy's life was the sin of unbelief. And when I told him, I said, son, this is your problem. I want to ask him if he's living in any kind of sin, holding any grudges. No, none of those things. He was a fine young man. But I said, then your sin is a sin of unbelief. My unbelief. He said, sir, I believe God's word. I said, no, you don't. I said, you don't know what sin is, Andy. I said, the reason you don't know is because if you believe this one promise, I'm going to quote one promise to you. And if you believe that, you would have stood on it with somebody. And I guarantee God would have healed your back. I said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. Jesus made you and me this awesome statement. He said, I tell you the truth. If two of you on earth, two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Did he say that? If he said that, then why don't we stand on those promises? We just don't do it for some strange reason. I said, see, Andy, if you believe that promise, if you knew that promise and you believed it, you, wouldn't ha you would have had somebody pray with you in faith, and you wouldn't have no back trouble. He said, sir, you're right. He said, that's a guarantee from God to heal me. 
I'd, I'd already told him. It was a guarantee. Oh, he said, you're right. It is a guarantee. I said, so will you repent for your unbelief? And so he repented for his unbelief. I said, now then that the sin of unbelief has been repented of, I said, now I'm going to pray the prayer of faith for you, and I'm going to guarantee you when you wake up in the morning, you will have no back pain. I prayed the prayer of faith for him according to Matthew 18, 19, and I was on the way to Bible study. I said, Andy, I don't have time to talk to you anymore today. I'd already been on the phone with him 45 minutes. I said, I'll, you, you call me in the morning with your praise report. I expect a praise report. He hung up the phone, and in five minutes, he was completely healed standing right there in Bill Gothard's office. Five minutes. Next morning, 7 o'clock, they're on the phone. Thurman, praise God, it worked. I said, well, what do you expect? It's God's Word. <laughs> you see, we don't believe, right? We don't believe. The promises of God. So that's our unbelief. If God made us all these wonderful promises, which I'm going to be quoting to you over the next few minutes here, if He made us these promises, and then the devil comes upon us to make us sick or afflict us or whatever... Why don't we stand on these promises? Why do we scream with pain and go to the doctor? Huh? I mean, then you, then you get a hold of it, right? No. I'm gonna take, honey, I'm going to take you to the doctor. Nope, nope. Thurman's teaching us the Word. says God will heal if we're going to stand on His Word with no doubt in our heart. Well, when she begin to stand on the Word and quote the Word, and they begin to agree in prayer. In just a little while, she's totally healed. Now, isn't God wonderful? And I bet He didn't charge you near as much money as a doctor would either. And He does a lot better work. So, but see, we don't believe Him. We don't believe these promises. So that's unbelief. So, if you believe God's Word, you will always believe the Lord and you'll call upon Him and believe He will do what He says. But when we call upon God and we stand on His promise and it doesn't happen in five minutes, that's where we think, well, God's not listening. I've got to go to the doctor because my foot's still hurting or whatever. No, He's listening. He's working. Be patient. Give Him a little time. Don't be like the young lady that called me from, I forget, somewhere, I forget now where it was, and I think it Louisiana or anywhere, somewhere off down there, Georgia or somewhere. And she said, somebody gave me one of your tapes, and I've got an 11-year-old daughter, and we're waiting for a liver transplant. An 11-year-old daughter needing a liver transplant? And she said, I want you to pray and ask God to give us a liver, because if we don't get one pretty quick, she's going to die. I said, No. No, I don't, want her. I don't want her to have a liver transplant. She said, but Thurman, I want my daughter to live. I said, oh yeah, I want her to live too. But I said, it's the devil that's putting those tumors on her liver. I have all power and authority over the devil, so I'm going to kick the devil out and ask the Lord to restore the one she's got. And I said, I don't want her to go through all that surgery and pain with a liver transplant and rejection and all that stuff. So she said, well, okay. So I rebuked the devil, commanded him to get his hands off a little girl, prayed the prayer of faith for the little girl. And I said, now I guarantee it's done. Well, three weeks later, I get a real long letter from this lady. She said, within an hour after you prayed the prayer, a liver came into the hospital. I thought, uh-oh, praise God. That's not the way Thurman prayed, but the liver came in. Now, you've got to realize what the devil's doing here. See, after I prayed the prayer of faith, he knew I prayed the prayer of faith, so he made sure a liver got there within an hour. So what does the doctors do? They run the little girl in. They don't check her. They go running in, cut a big, big hole in her, to look into, go through liver surgery, and when they cut in there, all the tumors that had been on x-rays the day before, one little bitty tiny tumor is all that's left. They reach in and cut it off, put one little stitch in it, and sew her up. And a couple of weeks later, or a week later, she's back at home. Her liver's working perfect, and she's completely healed. Now, if they to give God five more minutes, <laughs> five more minutes, all the tumors would have been gone. There would have been none on there, see, because I prayed to prayer faithful this little girl. 
this mother said, the doctors were awestruck. They couldn't believe that that happened. I said, well, don't feel bad. I'm going to tell you, me, a man of faith, a few years ago, well, it would be 11 years ago now, I guess it would be, because my daughter was actually 12 years ago. She was 15, or about, yeah, just about 15 or 16. One night she got a tremendous pain. 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. We took her to the hospital in Denton. The doctors checked her and checked her and checked her, and he said, I can't find anything wrong with her. But said, there's something not right in this girl. She's got too much pain. He said, why don't you go ahead and take her to Cook's and let them check her? Well, I didn't have near the faith 10 years ago, 12 years ago I got today. So we run her on down to Cook's. We put her in there in Cook's, and the next morning, we was up with her all night long. By about noon the next day, they'd done a sonogram, and Dr. Black, I still remember the guy's name, he said, I'm standing right beside him, and Amanda's laying stretched out there on the table. They got a big sonogram machine going over her, checking her. He said, there's the problem. He said, she's got gallstones. said, I never saw so many gallstones in a young woman in my life. He said, her bile duct stopped up everything. He said, man, it's terrible. And of course, he's saying this, not realizing. Amanda looks up and said, Daddy, does that mean I'm going to die? I said, no, honey. That doesn't mean you're going to die. He said, no, 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 Amanda. Now we know what's wrong with you. So anyway, sent her up to her room. He comes in, sits down with us and said, look, I've never seen that many gallstones in a little girl in my life that age. But he said, it's going to be a very extensive surgery. Very extensive. We're going to have to cut about a four-inch hole in her side. After going, I'm going to take out her gallbladder. Then I'm going to have to go down in the bile duct and run a rotor rooter through it to get all these stones out. Since some of them are going to fall down in their intestines, she's going to bleed. She's going to bleed into the cavity. I'm going to have to put two holes back here and put two tubes in her body to draw that out. I'm going to have to put a tube down her throat, down into her stomach to pump the blood out for a few days. Said it's going to be a very extensive surgery, but said she will be okay. I said, hey, I don't like this. So I'm now not the man. I wasn't a man of faith, but I'm rapidly becoming one. So that's Saturday night. Sunday morning, I go to church. I don't realize, at this time, I still don't realize the power I have as a Christian. This is only 12 years ago. Next morning, I tell my Baptist preacher, hey, my daughter's down there in Cook's Medical Center, and they say she's going to have to have this surgery. I'm going to call this church to pray for my baby, and I'm going to expect God to heal my baby. We go through a normal service. He preaches his 15 or 20 minutes. We sing. We give an invitation, and we close the service, and we go home, and nobody mentions my baby. <clears throat> that night, I walk in. I went down and spent the evening with her at the hospital, come back to church that night. I walked in, and I said, Now, Martin, this morning you forgot to call the church to pray for my baby. But I said, Tonight I'm going to sit on the back row. And when you get through with your service... If you dismiss and you look up and there's a man standing across the back door like this, you know you made a mistake, son. I said, we ain't getting out of here tonight. This church is going to pray for my baby today. He said, Thurman, I'm so sorry. But see, Baptist Church, we don't believe God's going to do nothing, so what's the big deal? What's the big deal? We don't believe He's going to do nothing, so we don't even respond to a prayer request. That's my baby down there in that hospital. So, very first thing we do. We call the church to prayer and several people pray. And I pray in faith. I say I'm praying in faith. Now, if I believed I was praying in faith, I'd have believed it was done, right? What did I do? I prayed in faith with everybody else and 
The next morning, at 6 o'clock, I'm down at that hospital. 7 o'clock, they roll my baby in there. Now, if I believed she was ill, I'd said, do another sonogram. You see where I'm coming from? I didn't really believe nothing. I thought I did. They wheel her in. I'm expecting a four-hour surgery. That's what he told me. Minimum four hours, maybe five. 7 o'clock, they wheel her into that room. 8 o'clock, Dr. Black comes walking out. I see him come out. I jump up. I'm excited. I run over and I said, Dr. Black, something wrong? He said, Mr. Shrivener, Saturday you did see those gallstones in her gallbladder, did you not? Yes. He said, in down in that bile duct that I pointed out, you saw all them? I said, yes, sir. They were there. He said, so then I wasn't seeing things. I, I said, no, sir, they were there. He said, this morning, they're not there. They're not there. He said, I cut her gallbladder off. And looked in it, and it looked like a brand new one. He said, there was nothing wrong with it. He said, I looked down that bile duct, and it's just as brand new and pink as anything I ever saw in my life. There's not a stone nowhere in that girl's body. He said, I don't know what happened. I said, I do. I prayed in faith and didn't even know it. Is that awesome? But that's where we live, in the church. I mean, I didn't really believe God would do what He said He would do, but yet I'm standing on His Word. But did He do it? Yes, He did. Now then, if I'd have really believed it, once I prayed, I'd have said, Hey, that's it. Praise God. It's done. Let me go down and get my baby out of that hospital. If you doctors want to do another check on her, that's okay. Check her. But I guarantee there ain't going to be no stones in there. Now see, that's the difference between coming from faith to great faith. Now some of us have never reached faith yet. But from faith to faith, and it's unfortunate, some of us are on the outside of that, like where I was most of my life. But when you get to where you believe God, you can see Him do great things. The king did say in Matthew 21, 21, and Jesus answered, and this is not some fly-by-night cowboy talking, is it? This is the king of the universe. Jesus answered and said unto them, If you have faith and doubt not, if you have faith and doubt not, that means you can go out in the backyard and confess your sins and ask God to heal you and believe it's done. Right, brother? That's right, right? And it happens. It happens. You shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto the mountain, Be removed and be thy cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. You got a question, Sherry? Whoops, I keep going back up there for the mic and I don't have it up there. My son had a, a kidney stone. He went to the doctor. It's been a few years ago, about two years ago. And he didn't tell us he was going to go to the doctor. He'd been having a lot of pain. So he comes home and he's uh, sitting there telling Dave and I about it. And he said, they said that it's large and it's lodged and I'm bleeding and they're going to have to do something. And it made me mad at the devil. And so I just pointed my finger at him and I said, Mountain, you be removed and you be cast into the sea and you have to obey me. I said, Russell, do you believe me? And he said, Yes, I do. I said, Well, in the morning it'll be gone. The next morning he came running in and he had passed that. And, y'all, it was huge. It, it was really big and stickers all on it. And I said, Did that hurt coming out? And he said, No. Nope. So, praise God. Amen. I mean, when you get a mama that becomes indignant with a devil, when she gets that kind of faith, 
What happens when a mama speaks to the mountain, one of her babies, huh? I'm telling you, great things happen when you speak in faith. Talking about that, I had forgot about that kidney stone. One night, uh, I was at church, and there was a brand new Baptist preacher at First Baptist Church in Justin several years ago. And one of the men, which was Daryl Durant, he had said that Daryl's wife had called in and said Daryl had a kidney stone attacked in the bank that day. And they took him to the hospital, and he was back at home tonight, but he was in severe pain with a kidney stone. And so he said, we should pray for him. I said, I want to pray for him. So I held up my hand. And I quoted the Word of God in Matthew 18, 19. I said, Lord, you said if two of us on earth agree about anything, it's done. So I said, I rebuke that thing. I speak to it, command it to leave in the name of Jesus with no pain. I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. And I thought, now then, all I need is just I said, told him, I said, I need one other person to agree with me in prayer. Because I used Matthew 18, 19. Several people pray about different things. And I began to get a little worried. Nobody's going to agree with me in this Baptist church. Finally, one of the men said, Lord, I agree with Thurman's prayer. I said, praise God, that's it, Lord. It's done. I go home and Cindy called. She called and she said, Thurman, is Betty there? I said, no, she's not home yet. She's still up to church. Uh, I said, how's Daryl doing? She said, well, he's laying in excruciating pain. I said, well, praise God, he's fixing to pass that stone. She said, well, I hope so. I said, no, no, no hope about it. I said, I prayed. Another man in church stood with me tonight. We stood on Matthew 18, 19. I said, I guarantee he's going to pass that stone with no pain. He's going to be healed tonight in the name of Jesus. Now, what did the Lord say we could have? Anything we say with our mouth if we believe it with our heart, right? I said, I guarantee it's going to do. So she said, wow, you sure do sound sure of yourself. I said, I'm sure of myself because Jesus made me the promise. So she hung up the phone. Less than 20 minutes later, the phone rang. She said, Thurman, this is Cindy. said, this is awesome. You're not going to believe what happened. Why is it we always say that? I said, sure, I'm going to believe it. He passed that stone, didn't he? She said, yeah. I told Daryl, I said, Daryl, honey, Thurman's so strong. He said, you're going to pass that stone. You're going to pass it tonight with no pain. He said, well, in that case, I better go in the bathroom and try. He goes in the bathroom and that stone comes right out. They give him one of them little cups or whatever it is. You know, it's got strainers. He passed that thing right into that thing and caught it. And it was totally gone and all his pain was gone. He's over there screaming, thank you, Thurman, thank you. Well, she, I said, don't tell him, thank me. He said, thank Jesus. He's the one that did it. Isn't that amazing? What we can do in the name of Jesus. We can speak to our mountain and it will obey. Oh, honey. I had several people come up to me lately for some reason. I don't know why. I guess it's because I'm a new bride. I guess that's the only thing I can figure out. But anyway, I had a, a hysterectomy when I was 30 years old. After I heard Thurman's teachings and, and several people were throwing away their pills, well, I decided, oh, well, I'll just throw my hormones away. And this was before we ever got married. So I threw all my hormones away, threw them in the trash, said, that's it, stood on the word in agreement with my daughter and Thurman. And that was it. And then after that, it seemed like every day somebody would come up and say how beautiful I was. And I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> I stand on Psalm 103.5 that, you know, he renews my youth daily <laughs> as eagles. Well, then people started coming up to me and saying, well, you know, uh, I've been having menopause problems. And I've had, I mean, I'm saying men and women both are coming up and talking to me about this lately. And I was like, well, you know, do y'all pray about it? <laughs> and they were like, well, no, never thought about doing that. And I said, well, my husband, when we got married, we prayed about it, and I don't have any menopausal problems whatsoever. 
You got to pray about everything, honey. We pray about everything. Praise the King. You, if you don't pray over everything, you're not receiving the best from God. If you're not praying over everything you do, everything. When I say everything, that's what I mean. Everything. Pray about everything. Jesus says in verse 22, And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. By the way, in, in reference to the, what Cheryl just said there, only two weeks ago at the Justin Healing School, we had a lady also, her and her husband, was at Big Sandy and, and down at the uh, ATI conference. And they were Baptists. And she said, we have studied these scriptures, but we had never been able to make them work for us. We didn't understand because we never heard a preacher preach these things work. So she said, I, I've been on medication, and she had many. And she said, I've been on it for 20 years. And she said, I'd try my best to get off of it in a week. I was immobile. Couldn't do nothing. Had no energy. Couldn't hardly walk or nothing. But she said, after I heard you speak at Big Sandy, she said, I knew all I was lacking was faith or trust in God's Word. She said, the minute we left that conference that day, we went straight to our hotel. And I walked right into our hotel room. And I took every pill I had in my purse and everything. I went right in and throwed it in the toilet and pulled the trigger. And down it went. And I said, honey, I'm never going to take another pill. And she said, two months or whatever it was, or I guess it was how long would it be from ATI uh, in Big Sandy? What, three months? I guess that was in March or something like that. Till now, she said, I have not had a single pill of no kind. And she said, I've never had so much energy and everything. And her husband said, yeah, I've been having to take vitamins to keep up with her. <laughs> I said, praise God. Isn't it amazing what you can do if you have faith in God? That speaking that day took that woman over the edge. She walked off out. She'd been walking up to the edge of that pit, looking over it and thinking, I'm not sure I can do this. I don't know if I can jump across that to the other side. That's a six-foot wide deal. I don't think I can jump that. But she would try it by getting off of her medication for a week, knowing it wasn't going to work. And so what she would do, she'd fall in the hole. But that day, when she heard me speak on what faith was, she run up there on the edge of that thing, and she she was probably five steps before she got to that crack in the ground. She just leaped and flew over that thing to the other side, and she hit in solid ground, and that woman has been completely healed by faith in God's Word. What can you do by faith in God's Word? We're talking about a young man here that had a stroke a while ago. There was a man, uh, a, kind of a Spanish descent. He and his wife came to this church quite often, and they came here, and here he had unforgiveness towards someone. I kept telling him, you've got to get rid of that. You've got to get rid of it. No, 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 no. I said, no, you've got to get rid of it. Finally, one day, just exactly about the right time, he said, okay, I'm going to forgive. Bam, he had a stroke. The devil was going to get him while he had legal right to him. The man was able to forgive, but he said he went to a doctor, and the doctor confirmed he had a stroke. One whole side of his face wouldn't move. One side of his body wouldn't move. And I said, now then, you're going to have a choice to make. You're either going to trust the Word of God, now that you've repented, and God's going to completely restore you, or you're going to trust the doctor, and you're going to go to the doctor. And I said, I don't know what that will cost you, but if you trust in the doctor for your healing, you will never fully recover from that stroke. Only God can fully recover you from a stroke. He said, I'm going to trust God. I said, it'll be an intensive battle. He said, I'm going to trust God. Six months came and went, and after that six months, that man now comes back to this church, after six months, he's fully recovered. Back at work doing it. And you cannot even tell he ever had a stroke. And his name's Ray Martinez. Ray Martinez. You can never tell Ray has ever had a stroke today. 
But at one time, one whole side of his face was immobile. Arm, leg, everything. But God completely restored him because he trusted the Lord totally. Only went to a doctor to get a diagnosis. And after that, he never went back again. He just went home and trusted God and put on tapes and began to quote the Word and listen to the Word. The Word completely restored him. So God will do it for you if you trust Him. All you got to do is trust Him, right? And in verse 22 of Matthew 21, 22, and how many things are possible if we believe? So what is, what's left out of all? Nothing. Isn't it amazing how we don't believe these promises, right? Here the king wrote us a book. And all full of these promises. And we don't believe it. Wow. And then Mark eleven twenty three. Let's go we've we've covered Matthew fourteen, Matthew twenty one. Let's go to Mark eleven twenty three. Now this these are the promises that are available to you and I as sons and daughters of the king. These are available to you and me today, if we can believe. He didn't go away and leave us powerless. He left us with everything. Now, I've used every one of these verses many times for many things for many people. Mark eleven twenty three. Again, Jesus says, For verily or truly I say unto you, that whosoever shall say, is saying important? Is the tongue important? Very important. Who shall so say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Is doubt important? Yes, you must not have any doubt in God's Word. You must realize He's the King of the universe and you cannot doubt the King. It says, If you have no doubt in your heart, but shall believe that those things which He saith shall come to pass, He shall have whatsoever He saith. Now that's a pretty awesome promise, isn't it? What can you have? Anything you say. Does that mean good or bad? Yes, good or bad. It's like that woman one time I went down to Goldsway, Texas. They had, uh, actually for two Sundays I acted as an interim pastor. They had no pastor. And that's before I actually started a church. So I had Sundays uh, free to a degree. And so they wanted me to come be an interim pastor for a couple of weeks while I was waiting on their new pastor. I walk in, here's a 70-year-old beautiful woman. I said, good morning, ma'am. How are you doing? She said, well, I'm doing pretty good, but my old arthritis sure is acting up this morning. I said, your arthritis? She said, well, yeah, my arthritis. I said, man, that belongs to the devil. That's not yours. He's putting that on you, and you're claiming it. I said, you don't think God would put something like that on a daughter of his, do you? Well, she said, I I never thought about it like that. I said, man, by faith, you can get rid of that. So I preached on faith that day. Hour and a half. Normal Baptist service. Hour and a half preaching. Nobody went home. They all stayed. I come back the next Sunday when I did that woman. She, I walked that next Sunday morning. She was there early again. I said, how are you doing today, ma'am? She said, praise God, I'm good. I said, what happened to your arthritis? She said, I gave it back to the devil. <laughs> no more pain. She gave it back to the devil. One Sunday, one Sunday preaching in a Baptist church, that woman, in fact, that woman and one other woman was about 80 coming up to me after the service was over. And the woman said, Sir, I'm 80 years old. I've been in the Baptist church ever since I was a baby. And I have never heard a message preached totally on faith in my entire life. But she said, Man, I mean, I, uh, I really enjoyed that message on faith. I said, Man, if you ain't got faith, you can't even get saved. If you don't know what faith is, you can't even be born again. That's the basic requirements. Is you must believe with your heart with no doubt. 
that Jesus was raised from the dead by the Father. If you don't believe that by total faith, you're not saved. So, wow. Therefore, if the Lord said, we'll have whatever we say, and in verse 24 of Mark 11, He says, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive it, and you shall have them. Now, that is the promise right there I use to get the vow fixed in the throat of my granddaughter. Some of you have heard this story. Some of you know, but I'm going to give you an example again, what faith is. When my granddaughter was killed in a car wreck, technically, I had called her brain stem back in together, called her eyes back together, all those things, and we got her legs fixed, her lungs fixed, everything, without no surgeries, no doctor can take any claim for none of this. Only Jesus could have taken claim for all the things that he did. But when we left that hospital out of ICU, after a month in there, just letting her lay there, the Lord was doing all the work. The doctors didn't do nothing. The nurses only kept her comfortable with some kind of medication once in a while. But Jesus totally done all the work on putting the brain stem back, everything. But when we left, the doctor said, whatever you do, don't give her anything to eat or drink by mouth. Because the flapper valve in the back of her throat does not work. And said, if you give her anything to eat by mouth or drink, it will run directly into her lungs and kill her. So, of all the miracles I saw God do, I believed the doctor and not God's Word. It's amazing how we can slip back so easy, even if you're supposedly a person of great faith. So anyway, we go home and we feed her with a pump three times a day. I feed her with a little pump right into her belly button. I mean, put the stuff in, the little liquid food. I take this verse right here, Mark eleven twenty four. What does that say? What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Is that a promise from God? That's an awesome promise. So I quoted that to the king and then asked him to fix the valve in my grandbaby's throat. And we'd wait. We'd feed her with a normal pump. We'd take her back to the doctor in two months. He'd check it and it wouldn't work. I thought, Lord, I don't understand this. The word says, but it didn't work. So I come home and I pray over it again. And we wait two months and we take her back and it still don't work. We do it again over and over and over till the 10th month. The 10th month, the valve don't work. The doctor said, it ain't never going to work. Well, I know that's a word curse. I said, no, no, doc. No, I ain't believing that. I just hadn't hit it right yet. I don't know what I've done wrong, but somewhere I've missed it. But I said, I don't know where I've missed it, but I'm going to find the answer. So I go home after the 10th month, and me and God meditate on that verse, Mark 11:24, for the next two weeks. I said, Lord, what is it I don't understand about? Therefore, I say unto you. What is it I don't understand about that? What things soever you desire. The thing I desire is the valve in the back of my grandbaby's throat to work. I mean, that's not difficult. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. What things soever you desire. He says, when you pray. Now, see, that's what I was doing wrong. He didn't say two months later when I take her back to the doctor. He says, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, is that a promise from the king? Now, what if I can believe him? What if I can't believe him? What if I'm going to try this? It ain't going to work for me. But what if I'm going to do it in faith? What's got to happen? It's got to work. So, first thing I do is repent. Like Brother Rick up here said a while ago, he didn't realize the importance of repenting, so he goes out in the backyard and repents. That's what I do. I get down on my knees and I repent, Lord, because I didn't believe that verse. I repent for my unbelief. Is unbelief a sin? Yes, it is. 
Unbelief will keep you from the power of God. So I repented for my unbelief. And then I said, Lord, now I'm going to start over. What things soever I desire. Lord, I desire the valve in my granddaughter's throat to work. You said, when I pray, I must believe that I've received them. So, Lord, I've asked you to forgive me. I now ask you to fix the valve in my grandbaby's throat, and I want to thank you. It's done. It's done. Right now. It's done. And then you said, I shall have them. So now, Lord, you can't lie. So I walked across the street, and I said, Toby, God's waiting on you and me. He said, what do you mean? I said, feed her. He said, Thurman, what do you mean feed her? The valve don't work. I said, no, it didn't work. He said, we just took her from the, got back from the doctor two weeks ago, and the valve didn't work. I said, oh, no, two weeks ago it didn't work. This morning it didn't work. But I said, right now it works. He said, how do you know it works? How do I know it works? The Word says it works. If I believe it. Did it say it? If I believe that book with no doubt in my heart, and I prayed in faith, what has that valve got to be doing? It's got to be working, according to the Word. Now then, I'm going to find out how well I believe the Word. Because the doctor said, if you give her anything to eat or drink by mouth, it'll run directly into her lungs and it'll kill her. So now then, what have I got to do? I'm going to feed her. I'm going to act on the Word. I believe the Word of God. It was convincing her daddy. If that was your baby, you could understand that, couldn't you, sir? Toby had a hard time with that. Thurman. The doctor said, I said, Toby, did the doctor say she's not going to live? Yes. I said, is she living? Yes. I said, the doctor said she'd never walk. Is she walking and running? Yes. I said, the doctor said she'd never see. But I said, we got her eyes reconnected. She can see. I said, everything the doctor said could not happen. I prayed over it and it happened. I said, why don't you start trusting God with me? He said, okay. What have I got to do? I said, feed her. So he got a little applesauce out of the cabinet there, took a little bowl of it, opened it up, and put it in a bowl for her. Had a little bottle of drink, some kind there, and he set it on the table. And I said, Caitlin, honey, come in here and jump up to the table and eat this applesauce and drink this bottle of juice for granddaddy. My one and only grandbaby at the time comes running in there. If I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, I'm in trouble, ain't I? If I'm wrong and she puts that in her mouth and it runs into her lungs and it kills her, I'm going to watch her die laying right there on the floor. Will this put your faith to the test, young lady? Will it really put you to the test? Will it really? What would it do to you, brother? It would put you to the test, wouldn't it? Now you're going to find out who you believe. Do you believe the Word? Or you believe what that doctor said? You know who most of us believe? Sure we do. We believe the doctors. Why? Because we can see the doctor. We can't see Jesus. He's invisible. But I acted on the Word. And Caitlin got up there with her little spoon and she started eating that applesauce. And she ate it all. And then she drank that little bottle of juice and she jumped down and ran and played. And from that day to this, she's been eating normal ever since that day. Now, she was four years old then. She's six years old now. So she's been eating normal, running and playing for the last two years. Now then, what if I had not acted on the Word? I'd still be feeding her with a tube. Does it take great faith to step into that realm? If a doctor tells you, you cannot do this, you cannot get well, if you believe God, you're going to die. If there's doubt in your heart, you better believe the doctor.
if there's no doubt in your heart and you know the Word of God cannot fail you, then you can act on the Word. You had a question? I'm just sitting here. I'm curious. Did you ever ask the Lord why it took you so long? Because you had believed Him for everything else but this one little deal. Mm-hmm. Why do you think your faith, faith wavered in this particular? Just unbelief. Yeah. That's what it was. Unbelief. So the enemy just came in and just took sure. you off focus. Sure. Just unbelief. That's what it was. Just absolutely unbelief. I just feel I need to add a little bit to my testimony quickly. Uh, I forgot to say, before I called Thurm that morning when I was crawling on the floor, I, p- I called the 700 Club, okay? And they really do a good job in praying with you. Well, the lady said, the first thing she said, well, I'm going to pray that you go to the right doctor who's going to tell you what you need to do. I said, no, ma'am, I really don't want to go to the doctor. And I, she prayed for me, not for the doctor, just praying for me, you know, to get well. And I hung up and, and realized it's not going to work, you know. That's when I called Thurm, I was so desperate. And then, of course, I, I said, Lord, but he needs to answer that phone. You know, thank God he answered the phone. And <laughs> quickly, also, it's really what you said earlier. Yes, when they cut this thing out of me, that, was, that took only like a half an hour, the whole thing. That was quick, you know. That abscess on me behind, well, the abscess under my arm took three, two, three weeks. It was, you know, so in other words, we need to give the Lord time to heal it also find that abscess had to, the pus had to come out. It was ugly. It was awful. But I just stood on the road. And also, when I had all this stuff going on, my daughter said, you've got to go to the doctor. My friend said, you've got to go to the doctor. No, I don't want to go to the doctor. So it's really hard when you have these people around you telling you you might have all these things, you know, staph infection. No, I don't have a fat staph infection. And just stay, stay, stand on the road and try to have people with you standing. God bless you. Amen. Well, another thing, too, you have to realize... That when you've got all these people saying all these negative things, it's difficult. Just like uh, Ty Davenport, he's a charismatic Pentecostal. He comes over here once in a while to get healed. He come over here as a charismatic Pentecostal. He said, come over one day. He said, Thurman, don't be mad at me. But he said, I've taken some of your tapes and put them to, uh, written them down. And said, I'm even preaching them with your same messages. I said, I ain't got a corner on God's Word. I said, you can do anything you want to do with my information. I have no problem. He said, I want you to pray for me. He's a doctor. I said, what's wrong? He said, i got a great big old fatty tumor on my leg. Who is it that puts fatty tumors on you, God or the devil? The devil. Of course not God. He said, but I want you to pray in me and I want God to take it off. So I said, okay, Ty. So we prayed. Four, five, six weeks. I guess it's six weeks later. He come back over and I said, Ty, that tumor go away. He said, it did. I said, when did it go away? He said, yesterday. That's why I'm back over here today. I said, well, what happened yesterday? He said, you know, you and I asked God to take it off and nothing happened. And I said, that's right. We asked him, but I said, and nothing happened. He said, nothing happened. He said, this last week, the devil killed one of my prize bulls. He said he got out in the lot and got to fighting with another bull. and It had been raining. It was really muddy. Great big beautiful prize bull. He stuck, stepped down in a place that was real soft. Leg went way down deep. The other bull hit him and broke his leg. Broke his leg. He said that bull's worth a lot of money now. He's nothing but hamburger meat. He said I had to go out there and put a chain on him and pull him out of the lot with a pickup and everything else. He said the time I got through with that, I was so mad and I was so muddy. He said I come in the house. And I stripped off all my clothes to get in the shower. And I looked down and there was that big old fatty tumor on my leg. And he said, devil, 
I am so mad at you. He said, you beast, you're not going to do this to me no more. He said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to take that tumor off my leg in Jesus' name. He said, I hit it as hard as I could hit it. He said, I went in and took a shower and I come out and looked down. That thing is completely gone. So see, you have to get mean with the devil. The devil's the one who puts this stuff on us, not God. So when you make sure your sins are confessed, get rough with the devil. Kick him out in Jesus' name. God does not make you like that. You had another question, sir? Got a question. Okay. Be bold with the Word. Amen, brother. Now, faith, if you talk about Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourselves, the gift of God. What is the genesis of unbelief? Is that of me or is that put on me by Satan? Okay, I'll answer that. I believe I can answer that without a problem. Number one, faith is trusting in the Word. When you, when you hear somebody preach salvation over and over and over in a typical church today, when you know that God did do what He did, by faith you believe that you are saved. You accept that by faith because you've heard a, preach, a message preached on salvation. Sometimes in some churches, that's all you hear every Sunday or at least two Sundays out of four. So it becomes real easy to believe God by faith or trust in His Word. The reason so many people don't get healed is because they have a lack of knowledge of the Word about healing. So just like me, 45 years of my life as a Baptist deacon, Sunday school teacher, uh, going to church and Sunday school, I mean all of my life been in church. I had no knowledge of God's healing power because they didn't teach it in the Baptist church. So I had no problem when the devil come upon me. I get sick or afflicted or cut myself at work or whatever. First thing I looked for was a doctor. Go to a doctor. I mean, praise God for good doctors. Because didn't have some, I'd have been in trouble. So I had faith for salvation, but no faith for healing. But when I got a hold, when I started studying the Word of God in detail myself, this word right up here is what set me free. That word right there, sozo. And that's in one of the best known Salvation scriptures that the Baptists use, Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 8, 9, and 10, it says, But what does it say? The word is nigh thee. It is even in your mouth and in your heart. That if we will confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart the Father raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The mouth is very important. Well, the night I read that scripture for the who knows how many times, now I had a computer that had all these Hebrew and Greek and everything synchronized together in them. So when I clicked on the word saved in my computer in the King James, it pulled in the word saved was translated from the Greek word sozo. Well, when I read the Greek word sozo, automatically it pulled in the dictionary definition of the Greek word sozo. And those five words right there is what it had on there. The word sozo means saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. And I thought, wow, Lord, this is awesome. One little word means five different things. I thought, I wonder how many times the Greek word sozo is used in the Greek text. So I went up right quick, clicked on the word sozo, done a quick search to find out, and it says the word sozo is used in the Greek text 120 times in 103 different verses. So guess what? I'm going to read them all. 
So I start back at the book of Matthew and I read them. One time the word is translated saved. One time it's translated healed. One time it's translated made all. One time it's translated delivered, preserved, whatever. All through from Genesis, Matthew to Revelation. From Matthew to Revelation. I, it took me hours there on my computer reading all those. When I got through, I said, Lord, I am absolutely more confused right now than I've ever been in my life. I said, Lord, this don't make sense to me. I said, if what I've learned tonight is true, not only was I saved on the cross, I was healed, I was made whole, I was preserved, I was delivered, everything became mine on the cross. I said, Lord, if that's true, why am I only saved? Why have I been sick? Why have I had all these problems all my life? And the Lord spoke to me in an audible voice. He said, Son, I am a faith God. And you have never received me as your healer by faith in my word. You only received me as your Savior. I fell on my knees right there. I raised my eyes and said, Lord, I see it. You are a faith God. That confirms exactly what you said in Hebrews 11. You said that without faith it's impossible to please you. I said, Lord, you are a faith God. I said, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I receive you tonight. Not only as my Savior, but my healer, my deliverer, my preserver. You make me whole. You even provide for me and everything. So I receive you as all of that. And I said, from this day forth, by faith in your word, I will never have another sick day. Now then, where is the word? It's in your mouth and in your heart. The next morning I walked up into my workplace and there's a precious lady that's worked there, Baptist. She said, morning, Thurman, how are you doing? I said, praise God, you're looking at a guy that ain't never going to have another sick day in your life. Oh, she said, Thurman, give me a break. You've always been a religious fanatic. You know everybody's going to be sick. I said, not me. I said, not anymore. After what I learned last night by faith, you're looking at a man that's never going to have another sick day in his life. Now, where is the miracle? It's in your mouth. And where's it coming from? Your heart. I got it in my heart. I'm speaking it out of my mouth. I believe what the Word says. And I'm going to tell you, right after I left that room, one of my Baptist preacher friends walked in. He heard me make those statements. He said, girls, don't worry about Thurman. He's always been a little fanatical when it comes to the Bible. But said, next time he gets sick, we'll just kind of have a laugh at him. You know, it's just one of those things. Five years later, he comes to me and said, Thurman, have you been sick in the last five years? I said, nope, and I ain't going to be sick. He said, wait a minute. Maybe you and I need to sit down and talk about this. We did, and I convinced him. And now then, 20 years have come and gone for me, and probably 15 for him. And neither one of us have ever had a sick day from that day to this. Now then, if God is no respecter of persons, and when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you walk holy before God and you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart He's your Savior, how long are you going to be saved? How long? Forever. If you receive Him by faith as your healer, and you know that He heals you on the cross and you know it's the devil that's making people sick, and you know the devil cannot touch you except you open the door through sin. That means if you walk holy before God, what can the devil do to you? By faith, he cannot touch you. And if you want to walk in divine health, you do what I did. I'm going to tell you that the first 45 years of my life, I was sick and afflicted and had cancer, not cancer, bronchitis, uh, sickness disease down in my back six times. I had all kinds. I had one hernia. I don't know what all I had. But lots of things in the first 45 years. But in the last 20 years, guess what I've had? Nothing. 
And what can I do in the last 20 years? Anything any 35-year-old man can do. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's, that's coming from my wife. Got a question. Yes, sir. Paul prayed three times to have a certain infirmity removed, and God said, My grace is sufficient for you. Mm-hmm. So Paul said, Therefore I will glory in my infirmity. How does that relate to what you're sharing with us? First of all, let me tell you, when Paul, everybody keeps trying to say that Paul was sick. Paul was not sick. What, 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 here's the thing. When Paul come to the Lord, number one, he said, a, I meant, That's it. Thank you. I couldn't think of that. A messenger of Satan has been sent to buffet me because of the great revelations I've been given because he'd been caught up to the third heaven. He'd been showing great and awesome things. He wanted to share with the church. But the church, he said, you can't receive these things because you're still carnal. There's strife among you. He said, I want to feed you with meat, but you can't receive it. He wanted to tell them, but they wouldn't hear him. So he tried his best. So Paul, he said, because of these great revelations, a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet me, to torment me, of whom I asked the Lord three times to take it away. And that's when the Lord made that statement to him. Let me tell you something you need to know about the devil. When Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago, 1 John 3, 8 said he came to destroy the works of the devil. Do you think if he came to destroy the works of the devil, he did it? Hebrews 2.14 confirms it. Hebrews 2.14 says that by becoming flesh and blood, he destroyed him who had the power of death that is the devil. If Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death that is the devil, then what's wrong? what happened to the devil? He's destroyed. So if the devil's destroyed... Then what do you do with a scripture like Colossians 2.15? First of all, Colossians 2.13, 14 and 15 says he took away the devil's legal right to accuse us of sin because he took the law, the written law, and he nailed it to the cross. And by doing this, he stripped Satan of all of his power and all of his armament and completely triumphed over the devil. All right, now if Jesus completely triumphed over the devil... And he came to destroy the works of the devil. And Hebrews 2.14 says he did destroy him who had the power of the death. And then he did strip him of all of his power and armament. How much power and armament does Satan have left? Zero. Then why is it the devil still seems to be running things in this country? We allow it. That's exactly right. Unbelief. We don't know who we are. The devil is doing everything he's doing by deception. When the devil tries to come upon one of us and tries to get us to sin, we don't have to sin. We can come against him with a word. Say, devil, I'm not going to yield to that. You're going to try to get me to do this or that or lie here or steal. I don't have to do that. I died to that. That man died. And he's not... If Paul says, if we're dead to sin, how in then can we live therein any longer? If we're dead to sin. But we don't stay dead to sin. We resurrect the beast. We bring him back to life. And we sin. When we sin, the devil says, Oh, I got him. They transgress the law. I have legal right to you. You fell from grace and damn, I got you. And that's what he does. Now then, give you an example of that. You get out here and you live under grace. You got you a car. You got a license plate on it. It's current. You got an inspection sticker. You got insurance. You got everything. And you get out there. Now you have the grace to drive on the highways. But the highway speed limit out here is 55 or 60. Say 60 on the freeway out there. Now, if the speed limit is 60 out there, how fast can you drive on the freeway? Up to 60. Now then, what if you drive 50? Are you okay? 
Sure, no problem. You come over hills or right over there. Do you have to be in a panic? You're driving? No. Well, what if you're driving 75? Uh-oh. What did you just, what are you doing now? It's the speed limit 60 and you're driving 75. Are you transgressing the law? Yes, you are. When you come over the hill and there's a guy sitting there with a radar gun pointed right at you, your heart just sinks. You automatically know you're in trouble, right? And then when he jumps in his vehicle and turns the lights on, you oh, Lord, why did I do that? Well, you transgressed the law. You called it upon yourself, right? You fell from grace. As long as you were walking in the grace the land provided, you don't, I mean, if you're driving right on 60, and why is it when you're driving right on 60, you come over the hill, you still step on the brake? You sound like you do that, honey. Oh, it, you know what I mean, right? You're, you're so close to breaking the law, you're not sure you, you haven't broken it, right? So if you think, maybe I might have fudged over just a little bit so you let off right quick and, oh, no, I was only driving 58, so I was okay. No, but that's just the way we are. As long as we don't break the law, we're okay. We're under grace. Now, as long as we walk in the grace of God, walking in faith, can the devil touch us? The police officers in the spirit world, can they touch us if we don't sin? No. The Scripture tells us that. We, they can not touch us unless we sin. No evil can come upon us if we don't sin. So the church has been taught all these years, we're just a bunch of unworthy sinners, and so there's nothing you can do. You're just a sinner. You're going to sin all day, every day, so just sin all weekend and Saturday night. Come and confess your sins or Sunday morning, and you'll be okay. No. You keep the door wide open to the devil all week long. You don't want to go there because I guarantee sickness and disease will come up on you. So you do not want to go there. You want to walk holy before God. When you walk holy before God, just like driving on that freeway out there, if you got that car and you meet all the requirements, you can drive on that freeway anywhere you want to go and no police officer can touch you. They won't bother you. But one day, let's say you're driving down and your inspection sticker expires. Now then, have you broken the law? Yeah, it expired last month. You're still driving. Now then, you may get by with it for a while. But if a police officer happens to come by and see that, he's going to stop you. Does he have the legal right to give you a ticket? Sure he does. Can he let you go by? Yes, he can. He can give you a warning and say, did you know that? And you have, now you either got to lie or tell, either you didn't know it and you might not have. And if you were truthful and you didn't know it and it slipped by, it's still your responsibility and he can still give you a ticket if he wants to. But he can let you by if he wants to. Well, in the spirit world, it works the same way. But I can assure you the devil's going to do his best to get you. If you're walking in sin, you are fell from grace. You've transgressed the law according to Galatians 4 and 5. And I'm going to tell you, if the devil gets legal right to you, he's going to get you. He's going to get you. Now, just like this brother here. Who would have ever thought that because of a little unconfessed sin, going along, living, sinning a little here and a little there, nothing grows, man of God, going to church probably, and all of a sudden a little prostrate cancer or prostrate problem comes up on him, and he never dreams that because of these little sins and never confessing these sins, he's opening the door to the devil. So one day when he hears these tapes and he goes out in the backyard and confesses his sin and repents of them and says, Now, Lord, I know you can heal me. And guess what happened? He gets healed. So simple, isn't it? Woo, does he pay good dividends to do it God's way? Woo, does it do good dividends to pay it God's way? Now, see, if you don't know that, that sin, if you don't confess it, that sin keeps building up. And building up and building up and building up. And one day you get a ticket here and you get a ticket out there. And they keep building up and you don't go pay them. And one day you've got ten tickets. And then they find you one day and they say, hey, we'll check the deal here. And it says you've got ten tickets. We're going to take you, car and all. We're taking you to jail. 
Do they do that? Yes, they do. Now then, could you have avoided all of that? Sure. Not sin. Not broke the law. Not transgress the law. Never got a ticket. If you did get one, you got to go pay it. Now, if you don't do that, you're going to pay the consequences sooner or later. You're going to wind up in jail. It's the same thing in the spirit world. You're going to wind up in jail. Wow. Well, we have gone completely to 515. And it's amazing how fast this day goes by for me. Can I just ask you a question in regard to that? Um, do you have actually some scripture that would address that? For Which when, one, honey? Um, for when people say, like, um, if you're a Christian, the demons can't come into you. Um, do you have some scripture that we can tell people? I tell you um, what, I got a videotape back there called The Question and the Answer. Okay. The Question and the Answer. It is six hours long, and it is six hours of intensive teaching on demons and how and scriptures. All that's all it's about. Yes, JC. Thurman, I know you preached this, but this brother here in front asked uh, that question, and he said uh, where Paul said, "I will therefore glory in my infirmities." Yeah. You know, sometimes the way we've been taught in our background, we automatically take that word infirmity to be sickness. But when you check it out, the Greek does not restrict the meaning to sickness. It means all his afflictions and troubles. F.F. Mm-hmm. F. Bosworth's book on Christ the Healer, he does one of the good uh, treatments on that. I know Thurman does. Uh, you know, a lot of controversy, but infirmity does not always mean sickness. It meant his tribulations and troubles. Yeah. One of the things, too, I want to continue to talk about a second here. I realize we're already past the time, but since that question was asked and so many people asked that question, here's the thing you've got to realize about Paul. Paul was a great man of God, and everywhere Paul went, he, he taught faith, and he saw people walk that was crippled. He, saw, he healed everybody on the Isle of Malta. I mean, he healed people everywhere. It's all over the Scripture. But because of the great revelations, he was given this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him or torment him. Now then, that messenger of Satan was a group of demons in people. Because Paul could go over to Ephesus and preach faith and see a man that's never walked, have faith to be healed and get up and walk, and everybody wants to sacrifice to him. And Paul has to tear his clothes off and say, Hey guys, look, I'm flesh and blood. I'm not a god. They say, Oh, you're a god. The gods have come down among us. He said, No, I'm a man. Look at me. Well, here's a group of people who want to sacrifice to him one minute, and then a group of uh, other people come up there with demons in them and said, What this man's teaching is a lie. I just saw a man get miraculously healed over there. What he's teaching is a lie. There's something wrong with this picture. I mean, they just saw a man who never walked a day in his life. Now he's walking, running around, and everybody wants to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. And then the next thing, Paul's trying to convince them, I'm a man. This is the God of heaven that's done this for you, and his name is Jesus. And then these group of men come and say, Paul's teaching a lie. And they convince these people, and the next thing you know, they're dragging Paul out there, and they've stoned him and left him for dead. Now, if they stoned Paul and left him for dead, have you ever seen the stones over there they used to stone people with? They're not these little bitty rocks. They're big rocks. When somebody takes a rock that big and throws it at you and hits you right in the face, what do you think that's going to do to you? Then one hits you in the head, one hits you in the chest, and then they knock you down. They come over and start throwing rocks on top of you that big. Do you think when they drug Paul out to the dump ground to leave him for dead, do you think he was really dead? Yes, I believe he was dead. I believe they killed him. But guess what Jesus did? He raised him from the dead. And Paul comes back in the city. Now, can you imagine what he looked like? Can you imagine what he looked like? Broken bones, skin tore all to pieces. But that's only one thing that happened to Paul. Have, how many of you have ever seen anybody beaten with one bullwhip, with one strap on it, 
with one lick. Anybody ever seen what a back looks like? A naked back when somebody takes a bull whip and lays it across your back? You know it rips the skin off? It tears the meat off your back. But Paul was beaten five times with a cat of nine tails. That means there's a handle this long with a big Roman guard, and it's got nine leather straps in it, and the ends of those straps is bone and steel and glass. And this guy is going to back off and hit you on a naked back one time. When he backs off and hits you one time, what do you think that would do to your naked back? It'd rip it up. What if some of those straps come running around your face and rip your nose and, and your forehead, maybe even tear your eyes? And that's the first lick. And then he pulls that thing back. And as he pulls that thing back, maybe some of that steel and stuff and, and straps just tear skin off of you. And then that was just one lick. He's going to hit you 38 more times like that. Paul said, I was beaten with a cat of nine tails five times. Five times. Then he said, I was beaten with rods three times. And then I was stoned and left for dead once. When he said, I carry the marks of the Lord Jesus in my body. Amen. What do you think he meant? Could, could, could he have easily went over to Galatia? And they said, if it was possible, you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me. Can you imagine what his face must have looked like after he'd been beaten one of those times? I mean, he must have looked bad. He wasn't sick, but he had infirmities in his flesh, I can assure you. I don't know a single man today in the church, nowhere, and I'm grateful that none of us have ever been beaten with a cat of nine tails, not one time. But if we did, if I could take every seminary professor that don't believe that these things work, and I could take them and I could tie them to that pole back there to hold them down, and I wouldn't have to hit them 39 times. I just hit them five times, and I guarantee it wouldn't be a man go out here who wouldn't understand what Paul's infirmities were. Guarantee it. He'd understand. Paul went through hell on earth because of the revelations he was given. But here's the thing that Paul didn't understand for a while. And Dr. Adrian Rogers had a real problem when I made this statement to him. I said, Paul didn't have all the revelation of the Word of God. He said, Thurman, you tell me, Paul, he was one of the greatest apostles ever. He knew everything. I said, no, sir, he's a man just like you and me. He did not know everything. And I said, here's the thing that Paul didn't know. Paul did not know at this point that he had authority over the forces of darkness. One scripture that Luke had made that Paul had never locked in his spirit. But in Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, Jesus made an awesome statement. He said, Behold... I give unto you authority to trample on the serpent, the devil, and his demons. All power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. Now be not thankful that those evil spirits have to be subject to you, but rather be thankful your name's written in heaven. People say, God, will you please do something to the devil? He said, no, I already did everything I'm going to do to the devil. I defeated him and destroyed him 2,000 years ago. Now you act on that authority. You act on that power. You're my church. I've given you the power. You command the devil to get out of your life and use my name to do it. And when you do it in faith, I guarantee the devil's going to leave. Just like in all the weakness you did that day when you repented of your sins and asked God to heal you, you drove out the forces of darkness that were causing your prostate problem. You see how simple that is? Now, you see, if you really understand these principles, when you really get a hold of this, when the devil tries to come upon you with some kind of sickness and disease after this, you'll no longer put up with the devil. 
You'll say, oh devil, I ain't got a sin in my life. I have everything confessed. I'm under the blood. I'm walking in total obedience to the Word of God. Now the Word of God says, and you have to leave me. That's what Jesus said in the Apostle Mark. He said, you want to get people healed? You get their sins confessed, and then this is what you do. Now I'm going to tell you folks, it takes a doctor of theology to mess up what I'm fixing to say. Jesus said so simple. And the Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. And these signs shall follow them that believe. That's supposed to be the church. But it's unfortunate that in the church most of us are unbelieving believers. Unbelieving believers. Jesus said, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Lay hands on the sick. Does that sound difficult so far? And command the devil to leave in my name. So devil come out of him in the name of Jesus. Then he says, when you command that devil to leave and you lay hands on him and say, be healed. He said, I'll heal him. You don't know how many people I walked up to in restaurants and everywhere else just walk up and my hands on and say, be healed in the name of Jesus. And seen the king instantly heal people. I've seen it all over the country. I, in fact, just to tell you, one of the most awesome miracles I saw just before I got terminated from my job in May, that had been there 29 years, when they told me I had to stop using the name of Jesus or they was going to terminate me, a little Spanish woman fell in an oven. Big commercial oven. Great big steel door had been 350 degrees for hours. She opened that big door and reached in and get big sheet pans full of food and slipped and laid her naked arm on that steel door. You can only imagine what it did to that arm, can't you, young lady? It just seared it, burned all the skin off of it. She was screaming just like you were, Billy. She was screaming in pain. I heard her from receiving. I come running down the corridors all the way to the, I saw this little woman sitting there and everybody's trying to pour cold water on her and, and medicine and everything else. I went running up to this woman. I run up her and grabbed her by this arm right here. And I said, Jesus said in Isaiah 53, 4, that he bore your pain. So I said, you won't have to bear the pain because the king bore it for you. Then I said in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus told me to lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. Did Jesus really say that? Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Boy, it's difficult to mess that up. But that's what the king said. And then I said in Mark eleven twenty three, the king said, I can have anything I say with my mouth if I believe it with my heart. So I said, woman, I guarantee you'll get a supernatural healing from the king. And his name is Jesus. And I turned her loose and walked off. Now, how many of you got the boldness to walk up and do something like that in a public place with people all over the place? And guarantee she's going to get a supernatural healing from the king. Do you have that kind of faith? So that's why you don't see him do nothing. In minutes, her pain was completely gone. Completely gone. She even refused to go to the doctor. They wouldn't go. But that evening, she went up. The, the, the blister was this big. And black and skin black. Big old swelled up with water under it and everything else. They tried to get her to go to the doctor. She would not. She got home that evening. Her husband tried to get her to go to the doctor when he saw it. Nope. She said, I'm not going. It does not hurt at all. She said, if it bothers me in the morning, I might go. The next morning, when that woman woke up and turned over and looked at her arm, it's as beautiful as mine. Not one single mark, not one burn, not one blister. Who and who alone could have done that mighty thing? Jesus. Now, what did I do? I'd done something in faith. I stepped out to quote Jesus. I quoted Isaiah 53, 4. I quoted Mark 16, 18, and I quoted Mark 11, 23. Jesus is speaking, and I guarantee the woman she'd get a supernatural healing because the king said, I can have anything I say with my mouth if I believe it with my heart. 
Would you consider that to be a pretty significant little miracle? If God's still in the business to do those things for me and He's no respecter of person, what will He do for you, young lady? He'll do whatever you ask Him if you walk holy before Him, right? And you do it in faith. Now, you can walk holy as you want to before God. If you don't do something in faith, He's still not going to do nothing for you. He is a faith God. And faith is what moves His hand. Faith is what moves the hand of the king after obedience. Now, you can't have faith if you don't walk in obedience because if you're not walking in love, you have no faith. You see where I'm coming from? So walk in faith, believe God, and you will get to see the king do awesome things.